genre. Franchiseography, the podcast that digs deep into the entire filmographies of Hollywood's biggest film franchises. I'm Scott Corelli. I'm Nick Jimenez. Today, we are taking a break from our ongoing miniseries on the Scream franchise for an extracurricular look at the Kevin Williamson-scripted, Wes Craven-directed werewolf flick, 2005's Cursed. Yes. Yes. And what a curse it was. This is like a preview of what an extracurricular episode would be for this show. We're looking to get a hundred patrons. And when we get there, we're going to do extracurricular episodes like this one, where we talk about a movie or, or subject matter of some sort that is tangentially related or and sometimes directly related to the sort of behind the scenes narrative of the miniseries that we're covering at that mm-hmm. at that time. Kind of connective tissue right. helps kind of flesh out the story of whatever franchise we're covering at the time. Right, right. For example, if we had done this on Men in Black, we probably would have covered Wild Wild West. Right. Because, you know, it's Barry Sonnenfeld, it's it's Will success. Smith. Yeah, its success had to do with Men in Black. Right. And its failure affected Men in Black too in a lot of ways. Mm-hmm. It had a single. It had a hit single, an iconic <laughs> single. Yes. Next miniseries is well, there's, all ki- there's all kinds of stuff. We watched Kate Leopold. Yeah, yeah, that's true. <laughs> yeah, there's lots of stuff. Uh, one thing that we talked about, at least within the initial X-Men trilogy, we talked about covering Superman Returns, mm-hmm. because that's Brian Singer, and that's what he went on to go do instead of X-Men 3. Has a it, lot. Yeah, it kind of directly affects X-Men 3 and it, why it's so wonky. Exactly. Just for starters, Brian Singer, and then there's also... James uh, Marsden. Yeah, yeah, James Marsden. I'm so stuck in my head calling him Donut Lord now <laughs> yeah. that I forget his yeah. name a lot. Donut Lord was Donut busy. Lord, yeah. <laughs> so thank you, Sonic the Hedgehog. You know, depending on how long the miniseries is, this is only four, so yeah. we're only doing one extracurricular for this. But X-Men, we would probably do like three yeah. extracurriculars we, probably. Yeah, like, like, uh, uh, like listeners, if, if like anything's jumping out at you, like, oh, you could talk about... I don't know, Kingsman. I don't know. Like, yeah. or, or, or like not or or kick ass, kick or, ass yeah. or like a TV show or a book. Mm-hmm. I don't know. It might be a book, but you know, like sometimes as we review newer stuff, mm-hmm. film and TV are becoming more and more intertwined. Intertwined. Yeah. Yeah. It, it's not so much like, Oh, he'd love to go do TV. That's weird. Yeah. Right. Right. Let's talk about cursed. You know, I've been championing this episode for a while. Yeah. Yeah. Because I, I wanted to talk about the making of this and I feel like in retrospect, I think a lot of people don't know the story of this movie and they just accept it for what it is. And they're like, Oh yeah, that was that bad werewolf movie with a bad script. Why do they want to talk about that so bad? Yeah. Like this isn't even one of those bad movies with, 
a big reputation around it mm-hmm. that people still kind of talk about and remember. Yeah, it, not really. It's been kind of like washed away yeah. from history. There's some people, people like me, big big Kevin Williamson nerds, big Wes Craven nerds who mm-hmm. are still ringing the bell. Sure. Um, there were just some... Judy Greer completists. Yeah, <laughs> Judy Greer completists, of course. There were just some articles released, I think, late last year that we're still talking about it, about the the trouble production of Cursed, the cursed production of Cursed. <laughs> so there's still people that are aware of it. I mean, it certainly doesn't get as much play as the Snyder Cut did, but it's an interesting story that I think that you're going to be really fascinated by. I'm excited. Yeah. And so you don't know anything about this, right? No, I, I, I didn't look into it. And you're enthusiastic. I was like, oh, there's something there. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So we're coming off of Scream 3. Scream 3 was, you know, it was it was a moderate success. It didn't blow the roof off or anything, but it made some money. Yeah, $161 million, which is lower than either of the previous Scream movies, but still pretty good. It came out in January, right? Or February? February. So yeah. yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It got pushed back by two months because mm-hmm. of the January reshoots. I assume winter was still kind of a dumping ground back then? Yeah. Okay. Oh, yeah, yeah, for sure. Yeah, they, no one had discovered the Valentine's Day weekend, right. blockbuster opening weekend yet. So, so Scream 3 comes out. It makes its money, but everyone who saw it was sort of collectively like, what was that? Mm-hmm. Why did they make that without Kevin Williamson? And everyone was like, kind of in agreement, like that was the problem. The script was the problem, you know, because no one knew all of the behind the scenes stuff at the time, right? Mm -hmm. They just were like, well, the script is the problem. The problem was Kevin Williamson wasn't involved. They should have waited for him. That we could have had a good movie. Wasn't really seen as a ball drop on Wes Craven's part. No, not at all. Not at all. So then Dawson's Creek wraps up and then... His new show, Wasteland, and a couple of other things just don't really take off. Sure, I've never heard of Wasteland. Yeah. It only lasted like 12 episodes, I think. But he did. He has a few shows under his, uh, under his belt that are like that. So he's kind of out of TV now. He doesn't have any shows going on. And he's like, all right, well, what am I going to do? You know what? I think Dawson's Creek was still happening, but he wasn't show running it anymore. Greg Berlanti was show running it at that really? point. Yeah, that's where he comes from. Okay. He was a writer in the writer's room on Dawson's Creek, took over a showrunner when Kevin left because he was it. too busy. I think to direct Killing Mrs. Tingle, which okay. would become Teaching Mrs. Tingle, Greg Berlanti took over at that point, and then that so begat the, the era of Berlanti <laughs> right? running everything. So it's Kevin Williamson's fault in a lot of ways. Sure. Yeah. We have him to thank for for The Flash and Supergirl. Yeah. All of that. Love yeah. Simon. Absolutely. He was basically out of TV, didn't have anything to do. He was like, I'm just going to write a movie for me. Again. Okay. I haven't done that in a long time, you know. Before Scream. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Right. Exactly. Worked out. I, and so he was like, I'm just going to, I'm just going to write a movie for me and just let's see, let's see if I can capture that scream magic again. Mm-hmm. Right. And so he was like, what kind of movie do I want to write? And so he writes a movie about a girl who is a dancer and she's a really good dancer. And what you find out is that she comes from a family of werewolves, but they're generational and they only exist until the next one is born. She's been an orphan her whole life. Okay. But she found out about her family from her family tree that this is how werewolves exist in this universe, right? You know, they give birth to a new one and then they die. Right. Only one's allowed per generation. Right, right. So because she is a generational werewolf, she doesn't turn into a werewolf. She just has like werewolf abilities. Okay. But she can turn other people into werewolves. I think it takes place in New York and she gets attacked by some guy 
and scratches him. And little does she know that the guy that she scratched is actually a serial killer. Ah. And so it's a movie about a serial killer werewolf and how she has to stop this guy. She, right? She's like, I made him even more dangerous. Yeah. I have to stop him. Yeah. Yeah. It's a real, like, Eddie Brock carnage kind yeah. of situation. Does she also have a dance final, like a recital in the third act? I don't know. To, okay. What I just told you is all I know about that very first draft. Okay. And, I, and I heard it in a uh, Kevin Williamson uh, podcast interview where he talked about the origins of Cursed. Wow. To where it ends up. Right. So that's the script that he writes, and he had a lot of fun doing it, and he turns this over to uh, – I think he sent it to Wes first because he was like, I want you to have first dibs on this. I want yeah. us to come in the door as a package because I really don't like what Bob and, and Harvey did to Scream 3 mm-hmm. and – you Ms. know, Tingle. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And Mrs. Tingle. I want us to like be a, a, a unified force, mm-hmm. you know? Gives it to Wes and Wes is like, I like this. I don't know that I want to direct it. Okay. I might, I might let somebody else direct it, but I would produce it, you know? And he was like, okay, all right, well, let's, let's go ahead and see what they have to say about it. So he turns the script over to the Weinsteins. They read it. They're like, where's the werewolf? And he's like, well, I mean, it's – it's about a werewolf, but it doesn't have a werewolf in it. And they're like, what? Yeah. Who wants to watch that? Sure. I guess the, the way that it was presented with the serial killer was just he almost also, like Jack the Ripper. Okay, so he also doesn't become a werewolf. He also just like can jump and have like Sharpie claws. Yeah. Hands. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I don't and, want to agree with the Weinsteins on air, but I guess I can see where their confusion is coming from. Absolutely. Yeah. So they're like, yeah, tell you what, uh, we don't want this. I don't know a studio in Hollywood that would want this. But uh, if you write a werewolf movie, we'll buy it. <laughs> sure. So Kevin Williamson talks to Wes Craven about it. And they're like, well, look, I really didn't like the idea of you just producing this anyway. What's a werewolf movie you would want to direct? Okay. I guess Wes Craven thinks about it. He's like, yeah, I think I would want something set in Hollywood because, you know, I don't want to I, I live here and I don't want to go anywhere sure he's getting older at this yeah, point yeah right right so like if you could set it in la that would be cool maybe it's about you know one thing that i never see in werewolves there's always one werewolf what if you did a movie about a pack of werewolves or new werewolves who become a pack and so kevin mulls that over he page one rewrites this sure. movie yeah and calls it cursed it's a movie about three strangers who all live in la one is named vince Winston, and he's in his 20s. He's the son of a a famous producer, famous studio head, super, super rich, and just is kind of aimless in his life. Yeah. Gets drunk all the time, goes to clubs, gets laid a lot, but like has nothing going on in his life. Hell yeah. And is a big disappointment to his dad. Getting big like Harry Osborne energy. Yeah, big time, big time. And then you have Ellie Harper. And Ellie Harper is this uptight, very career focused, driven young woman who works on the Late Late Show with Craig Kilborn and introduces herself as that will be like, I'm I'm Ellie Harper from the Late Late Show with Craig Kilborn. <laughs> That's how she introduces herself. And the first scene that we have with her in the movie, she's getting dumped by her boyfriend because he's like, Look, I like you. You're great. We have there's no chemistry here. You have no passion in your life. All you care about is work. The sex is lousy. Yeah. If I have to hear about Craig Kilborn one more goddamn <laughs> Yeah, I time. mean, literally. Yeah. yeah. It's, it's a lot of that. He's just like, there's just nothing here. 
and I know that you can feel it. It's just <laughs> it's this is like a saltine cracker of a relationship. Okay. So you, uh, I just want to tell you, like you you read this script. I did. Okay, I read it. it this morning. Got it. Then. We're introduced to the final member of, of this trio in a, in a familiar scene, and that is Jimmy Myers, who is a 16-year-old high school student who is taking his dog Zipper for a walk on Hollywood Boulevard, on Hollywood Boulevard and takes Zipper off the leash so that he'll run into the wax museum where this girl, Brooke, who has, he has a crush on, mm-hmm. So that he can initiate a conversation with her. Yeah. And his whole thing is he just doesn't fight for anything. He's, He's a got coward. masculinity issues. Okay. Yeah. Right. Kind you know, insecure it's a, teenager. Right. Insecure t- teenager, uh, gawky, nerdy, whatever. And so each of them have issues mm-hmm. that are kind of snubbing their nose to their instinctual nature. Okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, each one of them has that problem. Yeah. Um, one's kind of aimless, one sort of focusing on their career to hide from their personal life, and one is, like, really insecure with his masculinity. Yep, exactly. Okay. This movie, this script, which was written in 2001, I think? Let me double check what this says on here. Uh, oh, okay, the version I'm reading is 2003. This is the version that they shot in 2003. So, Oh, so this, this got filmed. This was filmed. They shot... This entire script in 2003, all like 90% of it. Rick Baker did the werewolf effects. He did not do the werewolf effects despite the credit. The credit is only there for legal reasons. Oh. He did not do the werewolf effects in the version that we watched. So nothing on that screen. KGB. That's the like uh, Walking Dead, right? Walking Dead. Yep. Okay. Yep. Exactly. They're the ones who did the werewolf effects in this and a mm-hmm. lot of CGI. Everything was practical in this. Yeah. In this version. So Let listeners, me- this is where I'm at. Yeah. I just watched a movie where <laughs> Christina Ricci played a, a character named Ellie. Mm-hmm. And Jesse Eisenberg played a character named Jimmy. Yes. But they're siblings. Yes. They are not siblings in the script. Yeah. And, or in the version that they filmed. Right. And that's what I mean. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And that is the version that they filmed. So, because, uh, like, yeah, the, the scene where Zipper runs into the, the wax museum and Brooke's like, this is weird. That like, is from the original shoot. Okay. There's a lot. As we'll go through, okay, I'll okay. be able to point uh, okay. out the things that are from the original shoot. Great. So let me just show you. This is this is the Rick Baker designed werewolf. Oh, wow. Yeah. Okay, l- listeners. So what I'm looking at here is, and this is concept art, right? This isn't like a physical like model or a maquette? No, I believe this is a maquette. Oh my gosh. Yeah. That's clean. So it's kind of flesh toned and mm-hmm. the hair is sort of finer and more human. It's not like a big old bushy wolf. Right. Which is what we get in the movie. It's kind of gross, like a pointy face mm-hmm. and very muscular. But yeah, what kind of hits me is like the fine translucent hair and how like skin toned it is. Yeah. So in this original version, Ellie is driving on Mulholland Boulevard. Vince is coming home drunk from the club. Okay. On Mulholland Boulevard. She actually causes the accident, funnily enough, not him. But she drops something, goes to pick it up. The animal runs across the thing. She swerves into him. He's too drunk to react and then flips the car. So the accident happens. And then Jesse Eisenberg's character shows up. Okay. And sees that the accident happens. She tells him to like call the police and she goes down to go check on Vince, right? And then the werewolf attacks happen and all three of them get either bitten or clawed. And then they all go their separate ways for okay. the beginning of Act Two. Who played Vince? So I don't know if you can tell who that is. Can you tell is who that, that Adam is? Goldberg? No. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> there he is. Is, is that Skeet Ulrich? 
Oh, you picked a weird photo. I thought that was Uncle Rico for Napoleon Dynamite. <laughs> no. That's no. Skeet Ulrich? That's Skeet Ulrich. Yeah. So this would have been the reunion of Skeet Ulrich and Wes Craven. Yes. Yeah. They shot 90% of the movie with this version with Skeet Ulrich as Vince. And then, and then the Weinsteins decided that they hated the werewolf design. Okay. And they think that the whole movie wasn't going to work as a result. And so they shut down production with only like 10 days left. Wow. Completely shut down production. 10 days left, shut down. Yeah. And then they were like, Kevin, you're going to do a page one rewrite. We're going to reshoot this entire movie, but not only are we going to reshoot the whole movie, but you have to figure out how to use as much of the footage as we have as possible without any of the werewolf stuff. And also, you have to cut a character because the budget for the reshoots is $10 million. The budget for the first movie, 30 Thirty million for the first movie. The reshoots ten million. So you have to slash the budget of the overall you're, movie. Yeah, you're basically making another movie. You're basically making another movie for a third of the price of the original movie. So you need to reuse as much footage as you can. If I was trying to fuck over someone, you know what I mean. Mm-hmm. I couldn't come up with a better plot, like a better way to like come up with a Kobayashi Maru to like fuck a whole movie. So this original movie was Christina Ricci. Jesse Eisenberg, and Skeet Ulrich. Right. And then on top of that, you also had Mandy Moore, Omar Epps, Alina Douglas, Heather Langenkamp, Scott Foley, Robert Forrester, and Corey Feldman. Corey Feldman was playing himself. Sure. Wow. So all of those people were filmed, directed, they're in the movie, but then they get cut. Yep. Crazy. Yeah. Heather Langenkamp. Yeah. That that was the knife. Yeah. So they shoot 90% of this movie. And they all got paid. They all got paid. So that's just money on fire. And then they were like, you're going to have to do a page one. And so they reshoot it. This first shoot was 40 days. And then they shot another 40 days for the new one. They put it together. The Weinstein said, not good enough. You're going back. I like how it's like. Despite our best efforts, this is bad. Yes. To the Weinsteins. Yes. You know? Reshoots, reshoot number three, 20 days. <laughs> yeah. I, Eisenberg <laughs> was talking about this, and he was like, I've shot full <laughs> movies in less time than 20 days. These yeah. were the third reshoots, and it was 20 days. And then, guess what happened? Not good enough. Reshoot round four. And so they reshot the movie again how, how, four times. How was it like 10 million each round or did it get less each round? I don't know what, okay. the, what the budget for the, the other reshoots were, but the total budget ended up being, I think, something like 48 million. That's right. I would have, you know what I mean? Like, that's like lucky. Yeah. Yeah. I know. Cause like they didn't like the third act. And so they, they made them reshoot a new third act. Okay. In the final round of reshoots. And what was in that third one? Was there stuff that isn't in the movie that we're watching? Uh, Joshua Jackson. Oh. He oh. wasn't in any version. <laughs> He's ex- that late? Except the final round. And listeners, if you're if you're listening to this without watching the movie, and I don't blame you, Joshua Jackson's the main villain. Well, it's specifically Joshua Jackson being a werewolf. Oh, so he was just like the boyfriend. Yes. Wow. And I think he just gets killed by Judy Greer. Judy Greer. And so at some point, Joshua Jackson gets the call from, and they're like, hey, you're now like the main villain. Yeah. You like are a werewolf now. You need to come in and film this whole drawn out, laborious action sequence yep. with Christina Ricci and Jesse Eisenberg. Yep. Jesse Eisenberg, you now have to like crawl on a ceiling like a crab. <laughs> yes. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Not, not to jump ahead. Yeah. Yeah. 
So they shoot all of these versions, and then after four rounds, after four rounds, the coup de gras. The Weinsteins lock Wes Craven out of the edit bay and edit the movie down to a PG-13. Wow. Yep. Oh, this whole time it was rated R. The whole time. It was, it was gory as shit right. and rated R. Yeah. There are Fangoria magazines showing the gore. That's what Fangoria does. Yeah, it's like yeah. They're like, look at this makeup effects. Right. Yeah, and yeah, so yeah. they show like gore. And there is an issue of Fangoria that has all of the werewolf scenes and cursed, but it's showing what the gore was before it got trimmed down to a PG-13. Man. Yeah. Can you imagine if you have that, if you own that? Yeah. Yeah. That's got to be cool. I know. That's a, that's a tragedy. I mean, you know, like, even in Men in Black, there were stories of, oh, this beautiful puppet we made, mm-hmm. you know, wasn't... But this is like, just hacking away at... At I mean, something that's working, because as we yeah, go through, yeah. I read the script... That script for the first version of Curse that they shot right, the was three f- really fucking good. Oh, man. It's so good. I think you're going to be really tickled by how the plot of it goes along. Oh, man. Okay. Because it's so much better. But yeah. Because like, and the result is it came out in the spring of 05, I want to say. Yeah, uh, like fall, March. I think, of 05. Fall of 05. Okay. Yeah, I think, I think it was. But yeah, yeah, like this, this, this bombed. I didn't see it in theaters and I saw everything. Completely bombed. Like everyone, it, it, everyone hated it. Oh no, you're right. Feb- February of '05. Okay, this this comes up a lot if you read kind of books about like or stories about Miramax and the Weinstein's and like yeah. them just doing all, do, pulling this shit all the time, like yep. locking directors out of rooms, yep. hacking movies to shit over like weird idiosyncrat like like yeah. just opinions that they oh, have people don't like hot dog vendors cut the movie in half fire a whole actor you have 10 days you yeah. know what i mean like and to this day the entire cast has openly talked about this movie sure and how it was just a complete shit show Wes craven completely disowned the movie mm-hmm. it's to this day the only movie i mean to this day there's no way that he could possibly do it now but in his is, life in, his, in his life it is the only movie that he did not record a commentary for Oh, interesting. The only one. Kevin Williamson has completely disowned it. They were both just like, it's not our movie. Mm -hmm. We had nothing to do with it. Yeah. After after four rounds of reshoots and restructuring, followed by the hack job at it. Yeah. For what? For like a werewolf movie. And that's the thing is like, none of them know what happened. None of them know why. No one knows what their problem was. It did. It's never made any sense to... Anybody that had to do with the movie. And, you know, I don't want to make this podcast about the Weinsteins, but there's like a bully mindset. Yeah. Because I was reading that Scott Rudin article that came out, too. He would just pick someone, Scott Rudin, Mm -hmm. like a person that worked for him, an assistant, that just reminded him of something he didn't like about himself. You almost can't track it. Yeah. Because it's just like, why does a bully pick someone? It seems to me like Weinstein, especially Harvey, would move his weight around like a bully. Yeah. To make filmmakers feel submissive or make actors or anyone feel like, no, you work for me. I'm the big, I'm Boss Weinstein. I do almost wonder if this, I mean, no one ever says it, but I almost wonder if, you know, as we, as we were learning stuff about Scream, mm-hmm. we, we er, like very early on found out that Harvey had very little to do with the Scream movies. Right. Yeah. I'm wondering if he had more to do with cursed and that's mm-hmm. why it went the way that it did yeah because after what happened with scream 3 he was like well i guess i have to get involved now right i can't just leave it a bob dimension guy right right and so <laughs> then he comes in and then fucks everything up right yeah 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 i don't know it's almost like you almost can't track why they picked this particular movie right to just bully essentially yeah 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 
Yeah. It, it makes a lot more sense now. There's like shades of things that remind me of good Kevin Williamson and good Wes Craven. Mm-hmm. And there's like a fair amount of like mid 2000s charm sure. to this version of the movie. Right. I didn't like it watching it wasn't laborious or not fun. Right. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, it's a damn shame. It's still a watchable movie. It's not something that you're watching and you're like, this is... This is painful. This is painful. I can't do this. Mm-hmm. You know, it's it's not that. But having read the original script, wow. Yeah. And what you're telling me about how there's chunks of the real movie inside of this mm-hmm. is fascinating to me. Yeah. Yeah. Um, because I will say they re- we'll talk about it. Richie and Eisenberg are believable as siblings to me. Sure. And especially now, considering that like they weren't playing siblings in scenes of the movie that we're watching. Yeah. But. You know, yeah, 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 for sure. Is there any more of the story before we get into the walkthrough? No, that's it. I mean, that it came out, it bombed, it flopped. It's, uh, everybody hated it. <laughs> I mean, it's you know, everyone disowned it. It's yeah. an even, it's an even crazier story than I thought it was going to be. Yeah, ninety yeah. percent of a movie. Ninety percent of them. Uh, at that point, I would just, I would just be like, I mean, I'm pretty sure they were breaking rules doing that, like DGA rules. Oh, yeah, that's true. Like, I don't think you can shut a movie down once it's 90% done. I think you have to let the director have a director's cut. Yeah. Before you can order reshoots or bring in a new director or whatever. The Weinsteins, they don't give a shit. They got away with a lot of shit back then. Yeah, they did. Uh, We open on Santa Monica Pier. Yes. But more Uh, importantly, we open with Bowling for Soup. So this is interesting. So this is a brand new scene. Santa Monica Pier appears in the script that I read, but later in the movie. But what's interesting is later in the, the, the movie we watched, there is a party about where everyone is dressed as endangered animals. Yes. Yeah. Um, that scene was the opening scene. Oh, but only the girl in the leopard outfit was in it. And she's talking to a guy in a wolfman outfit. And she's like, what kind of endangered species are you? And he was like, do you believe in werewolves? And it's like this whole thing. And then she's like, okay, whatever guy. Like, and then leaves, it goes to the parking garage, gets killed by the werewolf. So that's in the movie. Okay. But the setup to it, is completely different. So, so the parking lot, parking somehow. garage. Okay, okay, that's the cold open, the screen cold open of this. Wow, is that this girl at a party gets gets like attacked and killed by a werewolf? Yes, and so the parking garage scene was going to be like the screen cold open. Yes, but instead it's Santa Monica Pier, where that actress, the leopard actress, yes, and Shannon Elizabeth, yes, okay, they are like two friends. And they're at a carnival or Santa Monica. They're at Santa Monica Pier. Right. And Portia de Rossi is there as a fortune teller, I'll say. Right. And a, the, the psychic fortune teller is in the original draft as well. Okay. But it's in that scene that is at this place. Where she's in at the this, Craig Kilborn show. Yeah. Well, yeah. No, no. It's actually, actually, no, she's okay. not in that. Okay. She's just at the Santa Monica Pier around the, oh, when the period of the movie where the PETA party is in the movie we watched. Okay. So about halfway through the movie or so. Okay. Fuck Two-thirds me. of the way movie. Yeah. This is already like the memento of franchiseography episodes. Yeah. We're just like zipping in and out of time. <laughs> yeah. Okay. No, for sure. So in the version you can watch on DVD and strand <laughs> on like, HBO max on HBO max right now. Yeah. Shannon Elizabeth and leopard girl. They meet Portia de Rossi. Yeah. And Portia de Rossi is like, ah, oh, come, let me tell me, tell me your fortune. And like, you're both going to, I see blood. I see blood. You're going to die. 
and they're like what and they wander off they're like that's really fucked up <laughs> yeah up there's this Rossi. really there's this really great moment in the original bit where she does all of that and there's like you can't just tell people that that's so weird and then they, she says they start to walk away and she grabs one of them and pulls them back it looks like she has something urgent to tell them and then she's like that'll be ten dollars oh, <laughs> it's really good great <laughs> That's awesome. <laughs> I mostly know Shannon Elizabeth from Jay and Silent Bob Strike Back. What what do you know? Uh, American you, Pie. American Pie? Okay. Yeah, probably. Okay. American Pie and, and Jay and Silent Bob Strike Back. <laughs> okay, yeah. Cool. yeah. And then we the scene that we talked about, we cut to Hollywood. As I pointed out to Scott, it's exactly the part of town that Cotton Weary speeds past in Scream 3. Yep, Sunset Boulevard. Sunset Boulevard, Capitol Records. Yep. And Jesse Eisenberg is, yeah, he's walking this big all-American Labrador mm-hmm. <laughs> right on the Hollywood Walk of Fame lets it loose inside of ripley's right brooks although we don't see him let it loose that's true in the movie it just happens in the script there's a whole preamble to this where he's explaining the plan to the dog and the dog is just like cool i'm a dog yeah <laughs> that's see that's fun yeah that's like a fun opening to a dorky high school character yeah yeah there's like a part in that where kevin williams is like let me make this perfectly clear this dog is his only friend <laughs> <laughs> That's great. So yeah, the dog runs in, uh, Brooks there. That's fascinating to me that this is like an OG, never been moved scene. Yeah. Then Milo Ventimiglia comes in with his bully friends Mm -hmm. and he's like, what's up? Little gay dude? Yeah. Step off my girlfriend. And <laughs> it's just like the least believable bully role I've ever seen anyone play. It, it's cool because like, you know, spoilers, listeners, he's, he's like, he's one of those good bullies. Right. He, he gets a redemption arc. Right. But like, it was really weird though, because like he, he's Luke era, Milo Ventimiglia. Right. Yeah. So that was the, that was the thing. Oh, okay, please. Because yeah. he comes in, he, they filmed this in 2003. Right, yeah. And then he's like not in a lot of the other reshoots. A lot of his stuff is from that original shoot. Okay. Because a lot of his stuff didn't change. The fact that his stuff doesn't change, you were like commenting like, it's so weird. He looks, he still looks like Jesse from Gilmore Girls. Mm-hmm. Jesse, my bad. Yeah, Luke is his uncle. Okay. But yeah, Je- Jesse from Gilmore Girls, but... The next year... The next year, he's in Rocky Balboa. And he already looks like a grown man. He's like, you don't get me, Dad. But I'm like, I don't compute. And Scott was like, wait. Yeah. And it's because, yeah, they shot this in 2003, and he didn't really have to do any... Very few of the reshoots. Yeah. That's so interesting, because his character ends up being, like, a much bigger part of the movie than I thought going Mm -hmm. in. Even their house... You know, he shows up at their house, right? right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And you might think, like, well, he's at their house, so... That's got to be reshoots, right? They weren't siblings before. But Jesse Eisenberg is the only, because he's a high school student, he's the only one who lives in a house, but he lives with his dad, who I'm pretty sure was Robert Forrester. Oh, man. Originally. There's this moment way later, right? Mm. When, during the zipper stuff, we'll get to the zipper stuff. (laughs) Zipper is the name of the dog listener. He shows up, he shows up initially and explains that he's gay and the whole Mm. thing. You're gay too. Yeah, you're gay too. He's like, no. And then he shuts the door on Mm. him and goes back inside. Mm -hmm. The zipper stuff happens. He comes back out. And then he goes, oh, hey, what are you doing here? And that's because that's from the original shoot. And that is the first time that he saw him Uh in the original shoot. The other part of it was part of the reshoot. But they kept the what are you doing here? (laughs) Yeah. This might be an all-timer movie in terms of adr yes there's a lot of adr is scotch tape yes we're like the only way we can make this scene even make sense is with adr with adr big time so yeah they might live in tamiglia bullying but emphasis on the homophobia to a cringy degree Mm -hmm. until the reveal when you're like oh that's why that was happening it was well okay so i'm gonna say my biggest problem with 
this version of the movie. Mm-hmm. If I had notes for this version of the movie, mm-hmm. pretending that this was like the real version of the movie, sure, sure. I, I I was like, oh, Jesse Eisenberg should have been gay. Oh yes. I think werewolves are such cool things to do with transformation, sexuality, and yeah. carnality. When they were like, you're gay, like, you know, like the, what's up, you know, all this gay homophobic bullying. I'm like, if this was leading to him, like this being like a gay coming of age werewolf story. That would have been cool. It, you know? Yeah, that would have been cool. Like at the end when he makes out with Brooke while Milo Ventimiglia watches him. Oh, man. It's like kind of like awkward about it. Oh, it would have been awesome if he like walked toward them and then made out with him. Made yeah. out instead of yeah. Brooke. Or yeah. both of them. Yeah, or like, both. Well, there is that bit where he's like, you coming? Yeah, yeah. So there's like a little <laughs> bit of like, a, oh, maybe he's bi. Like a molecule, like yeah. a little molecule. <laughs> yeah, yeah. A little high school molecule. Is that, what, is, that, is that Omegaverse? Is that how Omegaverse works? <laughs> I don't know. Uh, but yeah, Ripley's Believe It or Not. Yeah. Cut to, we meet Christina Ricci. Mm-hmm. And she is playing Ellie, mm-hmm. who now works at the Craig Kilborn. She's always worked at the Craig Kilborn show. Right. But she's visiting her boyfriend, played by Joshua Jackson, mm-hmm. who is building some kind of dance club slash wax museum yeah. slash film history exhibit. And the only reason that it is that is so that they can use some of the wax museum third act that they had in the original version of this. Oh, is that where it took place? The entire third act. They never go back to their house because okay. they don't have a house yeah. that they live in together. So yeah, the entire third act of this movie takes place in the wax museum. And so one of the ways that they cut the budget uh, okay. was by reusing the footage in that sequence and so that's why he's opening a club that looks like a wax museum because it was always going to be a wax museum i don't even know who to credit what i watched to yeah is it the weinsteins is the editor it's kind of a miracle that it is as coherent and watchable as it is yeah honestly i think you would have to credit kevin williamson at that point because like He's the one who was just like, okay, let me see the footage. All right. And then like wrote like the in-between bits. Maybe if they were brothers and sisters. Yeah. Yeah. And just made a new movie. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. So Joshua Jackson is this kind of weird architect slash artist. Mm -hmm. And he's like, I just got to get this weird dance club wax museum look it's the cane from wolfman isn't that cool (laughs) she's like okay you're my boyfriend he specifically says it's a silver replica yeah (laughs) it's like oh okay great i guess that shotgun on the mantle is coming off at some point huh (laughs) uh christina ricci gets a call from her brother jesse eisenberg right and we get one of the few like that's a good kevin williamson line yes i know what can happen to a teenage boy on hollywood boulevard (laughs) yeah that's good yeah i like jimmy sometimes you see shades of like the classic kevin williamson nerd character totally And then we get one absolute hell of a car wreck. So I was smiling. I was smirking while watching it because I realized what they did. So in they're driving down Mulholland Drive. Yeah. They're driving down Mulholland Drive. They're arguing. Animal walks across their car. A deer. Yeah. Well, it's it's a werewolf, but yeah, it's the werewolf. But but yeah, and then they run into another car. The other car flips over and over down the hill. Yes. So that was Vince's car. And so okay. they're just reusing that footage to yeah. the point where there's a shot in the movie of Christina Ricci screaming as her car is spinning, and Jesse Eisenberg isn't in the passenger seat. Oh, because he, because it's, <laughs> he wasn't in the car in the original cut. That's crazy. Um, and so now, instead of Vince, played mm-hmm. by Skeet Ulrich, it's Shannon Elizabeth right. from the cold open. Right. So yeah. she's, she's hanging upside down in the car, Yeah, and she's like, get me out of here. There's like a really drawn out sequence of them trying to get her out of this car. Yeah. They're finally able to do it. And then they're like, there was an animal and she's like, was it, it wasn't a dog, was it? And then the wolf attacks her and drags her away. Right. I was like, is she aware 
of the werewolf thing, or is that just like a dumb question that she asked? I think that's just a dumb question because she just thought it would be sad if they hit a dog. Oh, okay. I think that's it. Oh, that's okay. the joke. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Is there any info on why that was Shannon Elizabeth? No. Is that a cameo technically? I, I have heard that she was in the original version as a character, but not as this character. Oh. And so they just brought her back because they were like, well, she could just play this, I guess. Okay. It's also very possible that she has a relationship with the Weinsteins. Because of American Pie. Oh, okay. She's like in that kind of stable. Yeah, American like, American Pie, Jane Silent Bob Strike Back. That's right, Dimension. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So I think that was part of what was going on, too. It's okay. like, yeah, we have to recast this movie, but you have to make sure Sharon Elizabeth is in it again. Oh, okay. Yeah. You know? And yeah. so in the process, this wolf scratches both Jesse and Ellie. Mm-hmm. They get up. The police arrive. 2005, Nick Offerman is there. Yeah. As like a park ranger. Animal- in the script, he's animal control. Okay. There's a cop. Mm-hmm. That's uh, like a detective that's also there. Oh. And they have this weird adversarial relationship where he was like, listen, this animal is scared uh. and we can knock it out and it can be in a petting zoo. We don't need to kill it. And the detective is like, no, you just just kill it. Just kill it. Like, okay. I don't care what it is. Just kill it. Okay. And so they have like this weird, you know, this is L.A., Get get your get your pita bullshit out of here. <laughs> that, that wolf knew what it was doing and when he came to this town. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So they have this like weird adversarial relationship mm-hmm. that they cut out. Now Nick Offerman's just in the one scene, but I do wonder if he's playing the role from the original cut. That's interesting. Because his conversation with them, Vince is elsewhere. Oh. So in that scene, the Nick Offerman is in Vince as a character in the movie. Yes, I think so. Getting like questioned or has like a blanket around him or yep, something. At another on on like the other side of the camera. Yeah, that's crazy. Yeah, yeah, I know. Jesse Jesse Eisenberg goes to check on Zipper. Mm-hmm. Zipper's like, "Get away from me! You're a werewolf. <laughs> get away from me, you bitch!" Yeah, get away from me, you bitch. <laughs> and then important, a Zipper bites Jesse Eisenberg. Yes, and he even shows like, "Look, you did that, Zipper. Look at my finger. You bit me." Yeah, bad boy, bad Zipper. <laughs> Christina Ricci lies to Nick Offerman or says like, oh, I didn't see a wolf because Jesse Eisenberg, like it was a wolf. I know it was a wolf. And Nick Offerman's like, no wolf has been in Southern California in 70 years. <laughs> yeah. And he's like, you didn't stand up for me back there, yeah. asshole. Yeah. She's like, but ever since mom and dad died, and he's like, oh, fuck, I'm going to bed. Yeah. I think their parents are dead just to explain why <laughs> they live there alone. Yeah. Yeah. Because <laughs> yeah, uh, she even has like a scene with Joshua Jackson where she's like, I'm trying because like now I have to take care of him. Yeah. You know. <laughs> And then we get, first we go to Jimmy's bedroom, Mm -hmm. and he starts doing one of my favorite 2000s movie tropes, internet research about a paranormal thing. Yeah. He Googles werewolf factor fiction. (laughs) Yeah. He's like very realistically grossed out by werewolf gore. Right. On the computer. And then Christina Ricci has like a weird dream where she's visited by Pacey. I mean- Joshua Jackson. Joshua Jackson. Yeah. At first, it's like, I'm sorry. Like, take me back. And then as they're making out, she like wolfs out and attacks him. And then it's like a crazy 2000s dream. Mm-hmm. And she wakes up. Oh, wait. Also, also part of the dream. Wait, was the cuckoo clock part of the dream or was that real? Yeah, it was the dream. Okay. Yeah. yeah. Okay, that makes That's more forgiving than the, the stupid cuckoo clock. <laughs> yeah, she's standing by this cuckoo clock that is Little Red Riding Hood. And the, the bird is a wolf. The wolf arm comes out or whatever. Yeah, yeah. It's something like that. I yeah. think it was even CG animated. Yeah, yeah. So post the accident in the original script, they're not siblings, no. right? They're all they're all separate people. Jesse Eisenberg's character was not involved in the wreck, was just there trying to help out and got attacked by the werewolf as well. Okay. So he just drives home, mm-hmm. right? 
And then Ellie and Vince's cars are wrecked. So Vince calls a limo and was like, let me just get you a ride. We'll just, well, you know, I'll take you home or whatever. And so then they go back to her place and then, or, you know, drops her off mm-hmm. and then they go about their way. They're, they're all starting to sort of know each other, but they're very much separate people. Yeah. And then the script brings them back together as things get a little crazier okay. yeah, later yeah. In, like the, on in the, the script. The plot keeps bringing these three random people back together and they're like, what is this? Yeah, yeah, exactly, exactly. I like that. Found family, try, pack. Yeah, exactly. It's, it's, a, it's a, a story. Yeah. Jesse Eisenberg wakes up naked in a bush. <laughs> yeah. And he, that's a that's from this original draft. I think that's from the real institute. Oh, because that's his house. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's um, his house. Good on the stunt guy. Because they do like a wide shot of this naked guy like jumping on the roof and like leaping through a window. Mm-hmm. I don't know. He was naked. So you could really tell his, his form. Yeah. Like, that's an athlete right there. Or a werewolf. Yeah. Uh, oh, let me give you this uh, this back and forth real quick. I just found it. So the detective is uh, named Harzel. Detective Harzel. Okay. And then Ben Taft is the Nick Offerman character. That's a good Nick Offerman name. Yeah, Ben Taft. Yeah. Harzel says, what about the kid? He's crying wolf. And Ben Taft goes, not a chance. There hasn't been a wolf sighting in Southern California in 78 years. And Harzel says, well, whatever the hell it is, find it and maybe accidentally shoot it too. <laughs> ben Taft says, detective, we're dealing with a frightened animal. It hit the girl's car. It was wounded and scared. So it attacked in self-defense. There's no need for a lynch mob. And Harzel goes, don't pull that animal right shit. This is L.A. The media is going to eat it up. Just take care of it before it kills somebody. I wanted to cut back to Jesse Eisenberg and Christina Ricci, and they're just like looking around. What the? <laughs> yeah. Okay. Just- yeah. Yeah. <laughs> great. Yeah. Cut back to the kitchen. Uh, we get this great scene where Ellie catches a fly, mm-hmm. like with her bare hands. I'm not going to lie. Parts of this movie reminded me of all three Spider-Man movies. Yeah, a lot of like the superpower stuff. Mm-hmm. Yeah, for sure. The kind of wish fulfillment stuff that that Jesse Eisenberg does at school. Mm-hmm. He beats up a bully. We'll yeah. talk about it. So there's this really great scene where so they're both clearly turning into werewolves, but Jesse Eisenberg is like more aware of it. Yeah. So he enters and he opens the fridge and just goes for this plate of raw meat and starts eating it. And then as Christina reaches, like you're crazy. Jimmy, like, that's not a werewolf. And then she starts picking at the raw meat, too. <laughs> yeah. And neither of them are noticing how weird it is yeah. that they're doing this. Yeah. So it's like just up to the audience. Because, like, you asked me, you were like, is it weird that she was doing that? Yeah, I think that was supposed to be the joke, but, like, <laughs> the camera wasn't telling us. Yeah. It was interesting. Yeah, it just didn't, it wasn't, it wasn't really working there. So I do want to mention, Please. in terms of, like, the superpowers, their abilities that they're getting. Okay. So each of their abilities that they're getting are about, their problems. Do they each get a special, unique power to them? Kind of. Holy shit. Yeah, yeah. Okay. So, so Ellie's is about confidence and sexuality. Okay. Right? And so she's starting to feel herself. So her hair is like wound up really tight mm-hmm. at the beginning. And now it's down, kind of curly and wild, yeah. right? Craig Quailborn's like, Ellie, whoa, you look really nice. Today. Yeah, yeah. Everybody, yeah. Everybody's like that, for sure. And so there's a lot of that going on. And then Vince... Uh, he gets super hearing. And so he hears his dad talking shit about him. <laughs> so he's he's at he's at the Winston mansion and he's outside and his Mr. Winston is I, I don't know if Robert Forrester was playing Vince's dad or if he was playing Jesse Eisenberg's dad. I'm not sure. Okay. But so it could have been maybe he was playing both. I hope so. I hope so. He could have done it. Like a like an Eddie Murphy kind of thing. Robert Forrester. Robert Forrester. <laughs> yeah. And Robert Forrester. <laughs> so Vince is just like 
vegging out because he's like, oh my God, like I was in a car accident yesterday. Yeah. You know, whatever. And his dad is just drinking Bloody Marys and just watching him. And he was like, He's like, you made the morning news. Once again, you've managed to stay magnificently low profile. And Vince says, it was actually a slow night for me. And then (laughs) Mr. Winston's like, and I understand the car is totaled. And he goes, but how are you, son? Are you okay? And Mr. Winston's like, I assume you'll be taking the day off. And Vince's like, I actually have an excuse this time. I'd hate to pass that up. And he's like, of course. It's important to preserve your potential. <laughs> and Vince says, just trying to exceed expectations. This is very Kevin Williamson. Yeah. Like, hardcore Kevin Williamson stuff. And uh, Mr. Winston says, uh, how exactly does one find nobility in being a cliche? And Vince says, you tell me. All I can seem to find is comfort. And so Mr. Winston walks off and he goes over to his Vince's stepmother, who's like a trophy wife. Mm -hmm. And she's on the tennis court playing tennis. And uh, suddenly he starts hearing Oh, him talking. Yeah, the, the, the yeah, the super hearing. And so then you hear her say, What did he have to say? And his dad goes, Nothing as usual. And then she goes, I'm sorry, honey. I know he's a disappointment. <laughs> and Vince is like, Jesus Christ. Jesus. <laughs> Not Jesus Christ. I have super hearing. Jesus Christ, like, man, they're really landing on me. Yeah, yeah. And then it, with Jimmy, there's this whole thing about his dad, and his dad is like, kind of abusive like beats him on the back of his head and stuff like that Mm -hmm. when he says shit that he doesn't like and like doesn't believe anything that he has to say about anything especially the werewolf stuff yeah doesn't believe any of that that's bullshit is jimmy in this script still like gung-ho werewolf research guy yes okay yeah He's very much into the werewolf stuff i think a lot of his the stuff in his room is from that original yeah yeah i'm pretty sure i guess like none of them change what they do it just this movie changed their relationship to each other. Right. Yeah, the next scene in the in the movie is Ellie going to work at the Craig Kilborn show for the first time. Right, right, right. Yeah, there's this bit where Jimmy goes, I'm not saying it was a monster monster, but it was some kind of crazy wolf looking thing. And his dad says, So now you're little red riding hood, you're really too old for this whiny baby shit. And then Jimmy says, Wine this and then his dad like just like smacks uh, him in the back of the head. Hard enough that it says that it sends Jimmy's face into the dashboard. So Oh like, shit. Yeah, so it's like hardcore. Yeah. So he's like kind of a dick. His dad's a dick. Ah, yeah. Yeah. Um, two shitty dads. Yeah, two shitty dads. One kind of like from like pecking from afar. Yeah, and one just straight up abusive. Yeah, straight up abusive. Yep. I Absolutely. mean, we don't know. I mean, I don't know. I didn't read and read the script. Maybe uh, Vince's dad is also verbally abused. I don't know. No, really, just an asshole. Okay. Yeah, Vince's dad's <laughs> just like a rich asshole. So Ellie goes to Christina Ricci goes to work mm-hmm. at the Craig Coburn show. We meet Michael Michael Rosenbaum. Rosen- Rosenbaum. Rosenbaum. Uh, Lex Luthor from Smallville. Right. Uh, wearing not a great wig because he's in the middle of his run right on on smallville so he's bald so he was really bald that whole show yeah okay yeah he shaved his head is why he quit because he was tired of shaving his head he was afraid he was going to lose all of his hair ah, if he okay. kept shaving his head fair enough yeah it's a 10 ran for 10 years that show yeah it did yeah so michael rosenbaum's character in this doesn't really have a personality until like literally his final scene mm-hmm. is that the case is this character this character is just Ellie's co-worker in the script. His name is Mark in the script. Kyle is the name of the guy that dumps her at the beginning in this script. Interesting. But okay. his name is Kyle in the movie. Yes. But his name is Mark in the script. I don't know. It's he, weird. He's kind of like the normal supportive 
plot yeah. delivering co-work. I was like skimming through this and I have this weird feeling that he might be gay, like the gay friend, but okay. there's never a moment where he like comes out and says that I'm he gay. is. Yeah. It's just there's like a few lines where I'm just like it's a little sassy for like a straight guy. Okay. You know like, like the, that uh, kind of thing. And like uh I'm your coworker. Yeah. And in 2003. And like movie. he'll say stuff like she looks hot, but it's not in a way that feels like She looks hot. Yeah, it's more of just like, wow, you look hot. <laughs> you know, like like a girlfriend, you know? Yeah, uh, we'll get to what happens to him in the movie. Yeah. But this is where we meet Judy Greer. Mhm. This is not where we meet Judy Greer in the script. Okay. Yeah, yeah she's she walking. comes later. Okay. Judy Greer playing Joni. Yes. Very much in like the 13 going on 30 wheelhouse of judy greer characters which is right around the same time yeah yeah yeah. she is scott bayo's assistant or publicist that's her job publicist in this she worked for scott bayo yeah she worked for scott bayo i thought she worked at the craig hillborn show maybe she was uh most of her scenes were about defending scott bayo yeah maybe she was uh like his agent in this version of the movie she's straight up his assistant in the script Okay, they just but, say, like, I'm Scott Bayo's assistant. Yeah, yeah, but that but again, that'll come later. I'll get to it. We meet Joni. She's, like, super passive-aggressive. You know, kind of like 13 going on 30, where she's, like, from afar trying to sabotage Christina Ricci. But that's what I got. But now that she's Scott Bayo's assistant, I'm like, why was she treating Christina Ricci like that the whole movie? Right. It's weird. It is weird. You never really get a sense of like what that's about yeah i assume it's just because there's so much footage of her talking about scott bayo in the original draft (laughs) they were like i mean she has to be related to him in some way she cannot be related to scott bayo that's what all of her lines are yeah right like we have to figure out a way around this (laughs) for scott bayo centric character yeah she is a scott bayo centric character i mean and it's judy greer she's she's bringing it she's she's 100 yeah this is where we get the nosebleed scene right yeah christina ricci's in her office and she's like what smells good yeah and it turns out it's a co-worker in the bathroom having a nosebleed yeah and she's like sometimes i get these yeah that's in the script so i think that's from the original shoot oh okay yeah that that bit of it i like the way that christina ricci is like walking around letting her nose lead the way that she's walking yeah yeah she's letting her nose lead her body i remember i took an acting class i'm sure you've heard of this maybe you know the actual phrase for it but the, when you're creating a character and you're creating their walk, everybody walks with a certain part of their body leading uh, them. Yeah, leading them. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. For her, in this moment, she's letting her nose lead her. Yeah, kind of seeing that animal side coming out. Yeah. yeah. It's really good. It's a really good, like, animalistic performance oh, from for sure. Yeah. Uh, they're both really good. They're hella awkward because of the lines they have to say and the story they're telling. But, like, I think both Ricci and Eisenberg are, like, doing their best. Yeah, for sure. So then after that happens in the script, Mm -hmm. somebody's like, hey, phone call for you. And then she goes in the other room. It's Vince. Okay. He's like, how are you? How are you feeling? Whatever. And they start to have this sort of, like, flirtatious thing. And then he was like, hey, why don't we get drinks tonight? Nine o'clock. The bar on the Santa Monica Pier. Mm -hmm. She's like, "Uh, okay. And then she hangs up. And she's like, hey... Can we move the meeting with Scott Bayo to like eight o'clock and move it to the Santa Monica Pier Bar? And they're like, "Yeah, sure, we got it." So that's when they go to Bean Bush Porsche. Th- that's when they end up going to Santa Monica Pier. Yeah, very interesting. Yes, I'll be honest, Scott. So, I listeners, I, I take notes to kind of lead us through the walkthrough of the movie. Mm-hmm. My note on this next scene is just Brooke. And oh, I, I know what it. Okay, this is a Sunnydale High scene. Yes. Okay. Yeah. So yeah, cut to Jesse Eisenberg within like half a second of him walking through this kind of circular quad of a high school. I'm like, is that Sunnydale High? It's yeah. like, yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah, hundred <laughs> uh, percent. 
he approaches Brooke because Brooke is his love interest in the movie. Mm-hmm. <laughs> She's like trying to get a soda out of the machine. And so, can't. so you know what's funny about Brooke yeah, is that. She's no different in the script, right. right? I feel like all of the Brooke stuff is... Literally Control-C, Control-V. Yes, yeah, seriously. I don't think that they had to bring her back for reshoots. I think yeah. everything is one-to-one. The difference, though, is that Jesse Eisenberg's character is only one-third of the movie Okay. in that version. And so the fact that she's not this fully fleshed-out character doesn't really bother you when you're reading the script because he's not the co-lead. Mm-hmm. He's like sharing lead with three Yeah, you're people. more, if you're the viewer, theoretically, you're more thinking about like, oh, are Christina Ricci and Skeet Ulrich going to be a thing? Exactly. Like, like, oh yeah, the nerdy kid has a crush on a girl. So it's not the lead Roman- romantic interest. It is a side character romantic interest. Yeah. So that's why it's so weak in the final film. Yeah, yeah. Because it was never meant to take the, the starring role. Right. You know? Brooke, Brooke wasn't supposed to be like one of the final people you see in the movie no certainly not no uh, milo ventiglia comes <laughs> ventimiglia ventimiglia yeah uh he's dating brooke yes so he's like babe why are you talking to this little gay boy yeah <laughs> see the gay boy in front of me and jesse Eisenberg's like oh my god <laughs> i like that your bow sounds like wreck it ralph oh really <laughs> sound like John cool, just really. yeah yeah it'd be crazy casting <laughs> The bully scenes are just always kind of the same. Yeah. It's always just like homophobia and like, mm-hmm. I'm out. His two goons surround him. Right. In, in like a weird <laughs> intimidation way. Yeah, it never escalates. They no. never hurt him or like push him into a thing. They no. just kind of, yo. Yo, hey. You better watch yourself, kid who's like a foot shorter than <laughs> us. Yeah. Okay, so we cut to the original cold open of the movie. Yep. It's like this rooftop party. Everyone's dressed like an endangered animal. Yeah. And... Brooks, she's just kind of there. Right. Is this Craig Kilborn related? She's there to meet with Scott Baio. Okay, yeah. So Scott Baio is at this party, <clears throat> and they're trying to lock him down to be like the third guest on this episode of the Craig Kilborn show. Mm-hmm. And that's also where we meet Becky. Right. I don't know who that is, but I wrote down the name Becky. Is Becky Leopard Girl? Le- Becky is Re- Leopard Girl. Okay. Yeah. And Leopard Girl recovering really. Does she know that her friend's dead, Shannon Elizabeth? No. Oh, well, she didn't, didn't when they were Cause, filming because okay. the body because the body. Well, yes, right, correct. When they were filming, <laughs> that was not the case because she was the first one dead. She didn't have a friend, but but also they don't find Channel Elizabeth's body until after she's, she's killed in the elevator. Okay, so she yeah. just thinks her friend is missing. And right, hasn't heard from her, in her day. and she seems totally chill about it. She's like, I'm at a party, and so she keeps hitting on. So uh, Joshua Jackson is there, right? Because he keeps being like Ellie. I have to talk to you. Ellie, I have to talk to you about something really important. Yeah. And she's like, I love you. And she's like, uh, and then like, but, but if you notice too, as you're watching, mm-hmm. Joshua Jackson doesn't enter the scene with that vibe. Mm. He always shifts gears. Yes. Whereas like he comes in with a totally normal vibe oh, and hey, then out of nowhere will be like, Ellie, I really need to speak to you. Um, it gets really like dark and serious, and it's like reshoot three, reshoot four. Like just the boyfriend, main villain of the movie. Yeah, yeah. It's so insane. It's so insane yeah. to watch. And Becky, the leopard girl. She, I, call, I call her the leopard girl because she's dressed like a leopard. She has like little ears and the tail. Right. Okay, so she's hitting on Joshua Jackson. Right. But she's doing it in kind of like, a, my friend really likes you. And he's like, well, tell your friend I'm off the market. And she's right. like, well, that sucks because I'm into you too. 
Right. LOL, I'm my friend. <laughs> it's me, I'm my friend. Because <laughs> my friend is dead. <laughs> so, so I'm my friend I'm now. now. And he's like, oh. And Christina Ricci's like, oh, you're such a womanizer. It's part of your past. Yeah. And Judy Greer's like, LOL, loving it. Yeah. Love the drama. Right. And this is where we meet Scott Bayo, And we get this really weird... So before I knew about how this is like barely his movie anymore, right? I was like, oh, this is kind of like a weak reheat of the kind of scream school of celebrity cameos. Sure. Where it's like half tongue in cheek. So it was explained in this version of the script. Okay. This is a special week on the Craig Kilborn show where much like Jimmy Fallon later on, okay. he's bringing back old TV show stars and bringing them back one each day this sure. week. Like Jimmy Walker. Yeah, 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 right, right. To just like talk about what it was like to be on that show mm-hmm. and like show clips from the old show. And it's like this big reminiscing thing. And they talk about how it's because no one's really promoting anything right now. Kind yeah. of a dead time. And so this is how they're filling their time. Yeah. yeah. Okay. So like in this movie, it's just... Out of context for no reason at all, Craig Kilborn wants Scott Baio (laughs) to be on his show. Oh, we didn't even mention the fact that by the time this movie came out... Oh, yeah. Craig Kilborn was no longer the host of The Late Late Show. And so you go and see this and you step into 2003 (laughs) immediately because Craig Ferguson is not hosting The Late Late Show. It's still Craig Kilborn. So it's like this weird past already. Yeah. Because like the scene we get is like super weird because it's like, why is Scott Baio on The Craig Kilborn Show? Right. And Christina Ricci is like, so we're thinking we could play a clip from Happy Days and then we could play a clip from another show and then we could talk about what you're doing now. Mm -hmm. And... As she's talking, she's like kind of staring at the the big old full moon mm-hmm. as she's talking to Scott Baio and her pheromones start emitting, I guess, or she starts becoming more like alluring. Mm-hmm. And Scott Baio is like, you're a very attractive woman and like grabs her leg. I was like, that's kind of, I don't know, like if I'm getting a script where I'm playing myself. Yeah. It's just like, this is weird. And Craig Kilborn has a weird moment, too. So in this, they go to the Santa Monica bar. Right, the date. She, the date with Yeah, Vince. the date. So she she runs into Vince when she gets there, because he's there early. And mm-hmm. she was like, oh, I have a meeting at 8. I moved it here so that we could have a drink after. But, uh, like, okay. I'm not here for you yet. <laughs> Sit tight. <laughs> and so she goes and she meets with Scott Baio. Like, she's wearing, like, a really tight-fitting dress. She looks great in it. She's got the wilder hair. Mm-hmm. And Scott Baio is instantly like, oh, yeah. damn. Joni loves Ellie. Yeah, right. So they never do the joke. They never oh. do the joke. But he plays Chachi. Chachi. Right? His assistant's name is Joni. There's an oh, ongoing oh. joke about how her name is Joni and she works for Scott Bayo. Oh my gosh. And, and so like every time they're like, yeah, Joni is Scott Bayo's assistant. And they're like, really? Is they, her name Joni? That's, really? Scott Bayo's assistant's <laughs> name is Joni? <laughs> like, that's great. There's like an ongoing joke about that. Where and they still every... could have made it in this movie and never once, not one time, do they call attention to the fact that Scott Bayo's assistant is named Joni. I didn't even notice it watching the movie. Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's crazy. It's so. That's a fun joke. I know. It's and a really fun joke. And even the joke of like, oh, of course, this character Ellie type A would be like, yeah, I'll just have the dates be at the same place and not get why that's weird. Right. Totally. And just tell Vince to like, just wait. Yeah. That's cool. It feels like a real character. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So she meets with Scott Baio. Scott Baio does the same thing. Like, that's a beautiful dress and you're beautiful in it. Mm-hmm. And Ellie says, thanks. It's a little tight. And Scott Baio says, it's perfectly tight. And she's like, uh. uh and then you cut to. You want to hang out with Ron Howard sometime? Yeah. Then you cut to Jimmy. 
and he's eating with his dad, and his dad says, you eat like a girl. Great. Just a real great father. And then Jimmy says it's overcooked, and it's a steak, and he's, like, pressing on it. The blood is coming out of it. Got it. It's, like, barely cooked. Mm -hmm. And he's like, it's overcooked. And his dad says, if it were any rarer, you could milk it. The next time you get in the kitchen, you could Wolfgang puck it any goddamn way you like. And then... He tries to feed the steak to the dog, to Zipper. Mm-hmm. And his dad is like, what did I What did I say about that? Stop doing it. Mm-hmm. And then that's when he gets bit by the dog. Oh, Zipper he bites Jimmy. Bites him here. And then he goes, oh, God damn it. And then his dad says, watch your mouth, and goes to smack him in the back of the head again. And then Jimmy catches him and punches him in the face. Oh, wow. And like he flies off of the table. Wow. And so Jimmy is superpower. So, like, you have smell for Ellie, mm-hmm. you have hearing for Vince, strength. and then strength for Jimmy. It's that, yeah, it's a layup, man. Yeah, I know. I know. It's a much better script. It's, it's like a hybrid between a werewolf movie and a superhero movie. Yeah. And this is like this great moment where he goes, Dad, oh God, I'm so sorry. I, I, I don't know what happened. I didn't mean to do that. And, and then his dad just says, Boy, you better get out of here before they haul my ass away for child abuse. Oof. Yeah, real piece of work. Wow. His dad. Yeah, yeah. I mean, we'll see what happens to him as the script goes on. I don't, right. I don't want to. I don't have you skip ahead. Back to the real movie that exists. Yeah, because because we know what comes next with this is like she goes to the parking garage. Gets yeah, Ellie, Ellie's world. like I have to because she's creeped out by Scott Bayo and also her werewolf stuff. Right. So she's in the elevator. And Joshua Jackson's like, Ellie, please, I have to talk to you. Please stay at the party. And then Leopard Girl's like, Hey, I want to have sex with you. This is Christina. She's like, You know what? I'm going to disappear for a couple days. I'm going to be weird. You can fuck off. Yeah. And then... Except cut. she didn't say fuck because it's PG-13. PG-13. So <laughs> she, she she goes to the parking garage. She gets in her car. She drives away. And you hear this like crazy like new metal music. Like, <laughs> yeah. She's driving away. And then Becky, the leopard girl, goes to her car. And we get what was supposed to be the cold open of the movie. Yes. And, you know, it doesn't... Only su- with... It would have been a better werewolf. It wouldn't have been the CGI werewolf. It would have been the Rick Baker werewolf. The cool, like, veiny, flesh, white right. hair werewolf. Probably only, like, glimpses of it here because sure. of the cold open. Yeah, yeah. But, yeah. yeah you it full- was all going to be practical. Yeah, and, like, it doesn't look bad. I watched it thinking, like, okay, that looks like a, a Rick Baker wolf in a bad movie. Because mm-hmm. it's big and furry and kind of generic looking, but, like, it looks good. Yeah, me. but it, it honestly, it makes sense that it's KGB because... It looks like a TV effect. It doesn't look uh, okay. like a movie effect, you right. know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Definitely at the level of, you know. Right. Like, uh, and so there's like some okay moments. Like it's not a horrible scene. There's like a moment where she uses the car alarm to make the wolf go crazy. Mm-hmm. But then, yeah, she's killed in the elevator. And right. we cut back to Jimmy at home doing more werewolf homework. Right. In the script, we cut outside where Vince is there. So there's this ongoing thread with this girl named Becky in this, who I think was the Shannon Elizabeth character originally. Oh, okay. And so she sees Vince in his opening scene where he's like drunk at a club. Mm -hmm. And she was like, hey, do you remember me? Mm -hmm. And he was like, oh, yeah, totally. She's like, what's my name? (laughs) He like looks at her and he's like, you come right out of the gate with a hard question. That's no way to flirt. You got to bring it down. Make it easier. Ask me uh, what my name is. That I might know. And (laughs) she was like, I know your name. It's Vince. And he's like, very good. Vivian? Other end of the alphabet. Annie, closer, one more. Story of my life. Come on, I could be yours for the night. And he's like, oh, B, Betty, Barbara, Bonnie, Bunny. And then she's like, Becky, it's Becky. And a bummer. And then she leaves. Right? Uh, yeah. Yeah. But then later, 
she he runs into her again at the Santa Monica at the Santa Monica Pier, and it's kind of hanging out with her outside. She is a self-professed star fucker. Okay. So she gets like really into celebrities of any kind. Okay. And she, she keeps saying. I was say some prime Kevin Williams, some name dropping opportunities here. Yeah, for sure. Let's see. She's like, uh, it's a great crowd tonight. Potsy from Happy Days is here. He's inside. Look, it's what's his name, celebrity person. I'm such a star fucker. Don't get any, go anywhere. I'll be right back. And like leaves to go talk to what we find out is uh, Corey Feldman. Okay, playing um, himself. So this is where Corey Feldman was, okay. as himself. Hello! So he, she goes, whatever happened to Corey Feldman? And he goes, I'm Corey Feldman. <laughs> she goes, then who's Corey Haim? The other Corey. Which one of you was in The Lost Boys? We both were. I'm so confused. <laughs> He's like, of course you are. Nice to meet you. I'm Corey. <laughs> and then she goes, hey, I'm going to stalk Potsy. He's at the bar. And then goes inside. And then she's, she like steps in between Scott Bayo and Ellie. And is like, hi, my name is Becky. And I just wanted to say I'm a huge fan. I loved you as Potsy. And he goes, Chachi. (laughs) And then like, you know, like kind of like talks about how much she liked. And he's like, thanks. I'm kind of in the middle of something Mm -hmm. here. And then Vince walks up and is like trying to lure her away because he knows that she's working. And then Scott Bayo says, we're in the middle of something here, if you don't mind. So if you could just wiggle away. And Vince says, hey, don't be rude. And Scott Bayo's like, who the fuck are you? And he says, the guy who's going to kick your ass if I don't hear an apology. And then Scott Bayo says, take a hike, pal, and pushes him aside. And then Vince decks Scott Bayo. Oh, wow. And leaves. And Ellie is pissed off. Joni comes over and is like, oh, my God, Scott, are you okay? It's like freaking out about it. Becky is super into Vince now because she's like, oh, my God, you like protected my honor. Mm -hmm. You're totally getting laid tonight and this whole thing. Ellie takes off. And then this is where the fortune teller comes in. Yeah, Becky and Vince are talking about it. And then they see the fortune teller. And there's this great thing where... So Vince tries to go after Ellie, doesn't catch her, comes back... And then sees Becky at the fortune teller's thing. And, and she goes, hey, Vince, check this out. She says I'm vivacious and carefree. And the fortune teller goes, I said careless. Careless. <laughs> and, and so then he sits down and then says, you have the mark of the beast and the whole thing. Mm-hmm. What, he's like, what are you talking about? And she's like, I studied tarot at Santa Monica Community College. I took this class on the occult. And then draws the pentagram on his hand with the marks. Yeah, right, right. And is like... See, you have the mark of the beast, mm-hmm. and it's this whole thing. She goes, it's a pentagram, the mark of the beast. Were you in the canyon last night with that animal? And Vince is like, how did you know? And she's like, chill, I'm not psychic. I saw it on the news, two plus two. Were you clawed or bitten? And he, she says, bitten. And she goes, doesn't matter. Either way, you're cursed, or at least that's what the books say. Becky says, Vince, come on, snap out of it. The woman's a fake. And, and the fortune teller goes, fake is a little harsh. I have a degree. <laughs> Mm. He leaves, and then Becky starts to go, and then that's when she grabs Becky and is like, hey, that'll be $10, which is, I don't know. Yeah. It's good. She doesn't have a lot of personality in that first scene, the fortune Mm. teller, Mm -hmm. but then I liked the stuff in Craig Kilborn office where she was like, you know, I I have a gift, I got it from my mother, or whatever it is she says, but I like this a lot more. Yeah, yeah, it kind of has that that fun kind of screwball energy. Yeah. Speaking of Mark of the Beast, so we cut back to Jimmy and he's doing werewolf homework and he learns about the werewolf, like the symbols on the palms. Right. And he like draws it with a marker. And then happens right around the same time as it does in this script. Yeah, it's in a very different way. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, Christina Ricci comes home from the party 
and is like, I'm not into it. They they have the werewolf fight again, mm-hmm. and there's this silver picture frame. And Christina Ricci's like, okay, Jimmy, if I'm a werewolf, then I wouldn't be able to touch the silver thing. And she is able to touch it. And that like ends the conversation. Mm-hmm. We cut back to Jimmy's bedroom, and he's reading this really shitty fake werewolf comic. And there's all of these dogs outside of his window. Yeah. And they're just like waiting for him. That's in this script. That's oh, okay. what follows the Santa Monica oh, okay. scene. Yeah. And then, and then he howls and like makes all the dogs go away. Right, right. And this is when he does his, the next morning, he gives himself his like Spider-Man 3 hair. Yeah, his little, like, his little makeover. His tousled hair. Yeah. Right after the howling scene, Becky is alone on the Santa Monica Pier and mm-hmm. then gets eaten by a werewolf. Oh, okay. Yeah. That's where Becky bites it. And yeah, I, I think Becky was either the original Shan Elizabeth character or Mandy Moore, possibly. Okay. And um, like kind of a stunt cast. Yeah, kind of. unless Judy Greer wasn't Joni originally. Maybe okay. M- Mindy, Mandy Moore was the original Joni. Did the girl in the cold open that was killed in the parking garage, like, was she given a name? Yes. Her name was Jenny. Originally. Jenny. Okay. Jenny. Interesting. Yeah. That's so, it's weird how, like, okay. Yeah. And then, yeah. And then, so the next scene is... Um, Ellie goes back to work and they're doing like a cattle call of these different fortune tellers. And one of them is Portia de Rossi, where she like takes her aside and she's like, oh, I know this costume I appropriated. Just like a dumb costume. I'm, I am a real, like I got it from my mother. I'm legit. I'm legit. I'm, I'm, <laughs> and uh, she gives some bullshit about like the, I forgot what plot she like delivers. She like, basically tells her like you're a werewolf. Yeah. And that's like her last scene in the movie. Yeah. Cut back to the high school. Mm-hmm. Brooke and Jimmy are in the stands and they start like talking to one another. The same deal. Milo Ventimiglia and the bullies start like harassing him. But only this time, because he's got a Spider-Man three hair, Jimmy's now a bad boy. And he's like, you know what? Let's wrestle. Yeah. Let's, let's just wrestle about it. And this is when I was really like, God, I wish he was gay. I wish this was like a gay coming of age werewolf movie. Yeah. This scene is the same. Exactly the same. Yeah. It is scene 90 in this script, but it is, it's exactly the same, including Bo being like, you're asking for it, Abercrombie, like all of that. Is in here. <laughs> yeah. I loved the coach who was like, you know what? This is I'm going to see how this goes. This is what class is going to be now. Yeah. Everyone, everyone wrestled Jimmy one at a time. <laughs> yeah. And it was like a big O2 Spider-Man energy where we big get time. the wire work of him like doing stunts and like doing flips. Mm-hmm. And there's this moment where he's wrestling Bo, a Milo Ventimiglia's character, and throws the homophobic bullying back at him it's like well maybe you're gay maybe you're gay bo yeah like, oh my god oh my god he knows <laughs> oh my god yeah I, there's this moment where we come back to ellie's work and she's talking to craig kilborn mm-hmm. he's getting ready to go on mm-hmm. and i'm like who is that yeah you didn't know who it was i was like is that like you, oh you were like you know who that is you know who that is right and i was like david harbour like who is and you're like that's craig kilborn that's who they've been talking about and i'm yeah. like oh, okay yeah. Never watched the Craig. Never watched any Craig Kilborn content. He's annoying. Oh, is he? What was yeah, his, what was his deal? What was his like persona? His persona was I'm better than everyone watching this. Oh, kind of like Bill Maher. Very much so. Okay. Like Bill Maher, he definitely had a superiority complex. Okay. And thought he was smarter and better than everyone else, but did it more with facial expressions mm. rather than like just saying the quiet parts out loud. <laughs> like, be like Bill Maher. Maher. You're yeah. a fucking moron. Yeah. I forgot why Craig sucks Christina Ricci's finger or Craig 
No, no, she he gets his finger cut. And Christina reaches. And like she's like, Medic, somebody come over here and do this. He's gotta get out there, and then mm. no one will, and so she just licks his finger. Right, yeah. And just it sucks, and sucks like the blood very off. Very sensual, and Kirk Hellborn's like, Whoa. What the fuck just what happened? The- <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I'm getting out of here. Yeah, and then she goes in the bathroom. First, okay. uh, they have a confrontation that makes a lot more sense now, where Joni is like, just why is Craig going third? He should be the main guest. Just bump Carrot Top. Uh, you mean Scott Bayo? Scott Bayo. What yeah, did yeah. I say? Craig you said Goldberg? Craig. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Why is Scott- Why is he going third? He's the host no, he's of the, the show. Host. Makes no sense. <laughs> and and right. then yeah, she's like upset about the confrontation with Joni, mm-hmm. and so she goes to run in the bathroom. In this, she's upset because she licked the blood. She oh, like the blood off the finger. Oh, and she's like, and that it was freaks a- her out. Okay. Yeah. Like, and then and then like goes into the bathroom. She's like, why the fuck did I do that? I that was my boss. Yeah. yeah. It was Craig Hilborn. Yeah. Also, uh, it was blood. It was an open wound. <laughs> uh, nosebleed girl is in the bathroom mm-hmm. and she can see that Christina Ricci's in the stall and she's like, Ellie, Ellie, are you okay? And like, won't leave. Yeah. And we get this pretty laughable moment where like, I never want a voice filter. So like, you know, Christina Ricci's like in the bathroom. She's like, get away from me. And she's yeah. like trying to do it with like her natural voice. Yeah. And she has these big, weird CG werewolf eyes. Right. And so it just was really goofy. Yeah. Um, and then she runs away. I was surprised that the that nosebleed girl wasn't killed, honestly. Yeah. True. They really set that up. Very true. Right after that happens in the script, we go back to Vince and his dad, and his dad's being a dick again mm-hmm. because he had to bail him out of jail. Because apparently, when he walked away from uh, from Scott. Becky, okay, yeah, at Santa Monica Pier, you're supposed to think he turns into a werewolf, attacks her. Okay, right? That's like what the script is leading you to believe. Got it. Because then he wakes up the next morning and he's in prison. He's in jail. Oh, okay. like in the like the drunk tank or whatever, you know. Yeah. yeah. So he's in jail, and then his dad has to bail him out. Um, and so now he's just like, God, can you be any more of a fuck up? You know, like <laughs> the whole thing. And and then eventually, you know, Vince is just like, I just, I don't want, I don't want to skip all of this. I don't want to deal with it. And then he goes to grab him, and then Vince throws him through one of the windows. Oh wow! Of the of the mansion out into the garden. Oh, it kills then- him. And then bails. No, no, just throws him through the window. Okay. And then and then bails. Yeah, there's one aspect of Vince that I haven't brought up yet, which is that he has an Alfred. It's the limo driver. And he's just sort of like this wise limo driver sure. guy. The butler from Spider-Man 3. Yeah, big time. Well, except he's not quite that old. But yeah, oh, it okay. says he's like in his 40s. I was, like, butl- I was literally picturing Paul Giamatti from um, the, the Mary Poppins movie. Oh, yeah, Mr. Banks. Yeah, from Saving Mr. Banks. Just, I was just picturing Paul Giamatti from Saving Mr. The Banks. The kindly driver. Yeah. That's fun. But yeah, so his name is Toby. Toby. Yeah. Great. And, uh, and so he get, he's like, Toby, let's get out of here. <laughs> Come on, Toby. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> yeah. Back at we uh, uh, Joshua Jackson's weird club uh, wax museum place, uh, Jesse Eisenberg comes to visit him, and he's like, "Well, maybe you'll believe me. Something weird's going on." And he's like, "Hey, man, you read too many werewolf comic books. Get out of my face." Yeah. Back at the house, there's a scene where Jimmy is like eating raw steak again, mm-hmm. and Zipper is cowering in the corner. Mm-hmm. And as like a peace offering, he's like, well, maybe if I cut the steak in half and give him some, I think that's what he was doing. Right. Uh, that's what I took away. And then he's opening the drawer. And is that a cake knife? What is that? Yeah. He sees it. And he's like, oh, maybe it's it's silver. And so he grabs it and he burns himself. Right. And he's like, whoa. Oh, my God. It is real. What? <laughs> and there's like a knock at the door. It's Bo. Mm-hmm. And we get that scene where he's like, yeah, when you said that homophobic stuff at me when we were wrestling... 
it like hit me like oh like i'm gay yeah and like you must be gay too and we get like the fucking every 2000s like gay panic like hey man like i'm cool it's cool being gay but like i'm not gay i gotta go bye yeah yeah yeah. so walk me through the 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 version in the script yeah yeah so in the version of the script all of the zipper stuff happens and in, okay. in turn like zipper turns into a were, were dog <laughs> and attacks and then he runs outside and runs into Bo for the first time for the first time and then Bo was like whoa what and he's like what, what, what are you doing here zipper is like jumping at the window okay and he's like what's wrong with your dog and he's like never mind that what are you doing here and then he oh, explains okay. the gay stuff mm-hmm. and he was like i don't have time for this yeah, i don't have time for this the dog is a werewolf <laughs> yeah i like that better than the weird like back and forth yeah because he goes he runs in zipper transforms and then he runs back out right uh they get into Bo's car and they drive off so, meanwhile, in the script, because uh, this happens right before the zipper stuff in the script, mm-hmm. after Vince throws his dad through the window, he goes to Ellie's place mm-hmm. and starts being like, okay, crazy shit's happening, right? Are you feeling it, too? And she's like, yeah, I am. And they're, like, talking it through. And then... Suck Craig Hillborn's finger. Yeah. And then, and then they're, like, touching each other's wounds, which have healed oh. and, uh, like, healed completely and touching each other's palms and they're getting really turned on and then they end up boning. Okay. Big time wolf boning. Uh, Is that what it says in the script? Yeah. Yeah. Big time wolf boning. <laughs> that happens and then you go to all the zipper stuff and then you come back to them post Coitus. Post-coitus. And the bed is leaning on one side on the ground because they broke the bed. Got it, because they're werewolves. Yeah, okay, they, they, they just, they, they, they fucked the bed to shit. I mean, yeah, when you're doing a, a R-rated werewolf movie, you gotta have a break the bed sex, yeah. you know? Yeah, I mean, you know, you don't see the sex scene, you just see it, like, starting, and then you see the, right, the yeah, end result. Yeah, but, yeah, yeah. Uh, they did in Twilight. Yeah, yeah, it's, uh, but yeah, it's pretty horny. I can't remember where Ellie is, but she, I think she might be at work still, but she watches the news, and it, it's reported that both Becky and Shannon Elizabeth's bodies have been found. Mm-hmm. And I have to kind of poke at myself a little bit. So she's watching the news, Christina Ricci, and in my little notes, I'm like, oh, it's it's like it's kind of like Scream, where she's like watching the news and like plot stuff is delivered. And I'm like, you know what, Nick? That's just movies. <laughs> yeah, that's not specific to Scream. No, <laughs> that was like. When it settled on me. <laughs> the next day after like Ellie's freaking out about <laughs> sleeping with him so quickly and being like, that's not a thing I do. I don't mm. do, I don't, I don't have incredible sex with complete strangers. Mm-hmm. That's not what I do. I'm type A. Yeah, I'm very type A. She's like, you know what? I think you're right. I think weird shit's happening. We need to find that other guy. The other guy that was there. His name was like... Jesse Eisenberg. Yeah, his name was like Jesse Eisenberg. Uh, Jimmy Myers. There's probably only like 8,000 Myers in the phone book. (laughs) So that's what she says. And then you you cut to him and he gets a phone call as he's like preparing to eat the raw meat. He gets the phone call. It's what pulls him away from the raw meat, which allows Zipper to grab it off of the counter. When he's like, Zipper, that's mine. Yeah. So in, in in the version we saw... It's, he comes back from it's, or, it's not be- being gay. Right, right. It's him. It's Bo that pulls him away. Yeah. Not a phone call. That's right. From Ellie. He's about to find out. Okay, yeah. Cool, cool. So, so Ellie calls and she's like, is weird stuff happening? And he's like, no, I don't know what you're talking about. I feel great. And so Zipper, Zipper hasn't attacked yet. Got it. So he's like, no, everything's great. Everything's amazing. I feel better than I've ever had. And she's like, okay, well, my name is Ellie Harper. Here's my phone number. Call me if weird shit starts happening so to you. So weird. Because he even says that like, no, but I've never felt better. Yeah. 
Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so then he hangs up, and then the zipper stuff happens, and then he runs into Bo, and then he makes Bo take him to a payphone on the Sunset Strip to call Ellie. Yes. Yeah. Uh, And meanwhile, in the real movie, we cut back to the party, uh, which is where they're going, which Mm -hmm. is where like Bo's driving off to. They're the Wax Museum, whatever the hell Joshua Jackson's doing. We get an incredible bit of ADR where celebrities are being dropped off at this event, Mm -hmm. and Lance Bass gets out. (laughs) Yeah. With, I guess, his mom. Uh, and there's like an ADR like, it's Lance Bass. It's Lance Bass. Uh, it's got remarked that it could be that like in test audiences, because it's like a wide shot. It's not like a big close up on Lance Bass getting right. out of limo. It's like him waving. Yeah. And you're like, it's almost like they couldn't tell who it was or didn't know who it was. So they had to go in ADR. Somebody just going, it's Lance Bass. From NSYNC. <laughs> yeah. So in this, so there is no big grand opening of anything. Mm-hmm. He's on the Sunset Strip calling Ellie. Ellie and Vince get attacked by uh, the werewolf at her house and have to bail. Toby gets killed and the the limo gets like trash, but it can still drive. And so they drive it to Sunset Boulevard. They find Jesse Eisenberg and Bo and they're like, okay, we need to go because they hear the the wolf coming. Okay. And so they're like, we got to go. We got to find a place. And Bo's like, come on, Brooke works at this wax museum. And then they oh, go into the wax museum. Okay, okay, yeah. Um, and so they, they go into the wax museum. It's closing up. And Brooke is like, yeah, I'll be closed in a minute. You guys can take me home or whatever. Wherever like, you're no, here. that's not why we're here. <laughs> Wherever you're both here. Yeah. <laughs> that's not why we're here. You got to let us in. We got to, like, something crazy is happening. Mm-hmm. So then that's when they go inside, which leads us into the third act. But I want to save that until we go through the for rest sure. of the movie. Uh, so I even wrote in my notes, this is how disoriented I was. Oh, why did Judy Greer bring Scott Bayo to the party? <laughs> yeah. Because uh, she's like, it's me when Scott's here. They're all at like the wax museum thing. Yeah. Oh, there's a part where Bo and Jimmy arrive at the party at the, the wax museum thing. And they're like, oh, look, there's Joshua Jackson. And Milo's like, oh, is he some kind of werewolf hunter? And I'm like, even that is better than what the movie is. <laughs> Your like first fart idea is like kind of cooler than <laughs> than what this is. Yeah, there are times in this movie where I'm like, this could be something you could put on mute at a Halloween party. That's true because there is like fun Halloween aesthetic at yeah. times. We it get, has cool vibes. Yeah, we get DJ Frankenstein. It's directed by Wes Craven. It's directed so. by Wes Craven. You know? Yeah, all of the rooms. There's like an Egyptian mummy kind of room. Mm-hmm. There's like in the back. There's a Fred Krueger in the background. Mm-hmm. There's like there's a, wax- a mirror maze. Yes. Yeah. Which is where Bo and Jimmy are in. I was like really worried for Bo the whole movie. Yeah. Because I'm just like, oh, is it like as soon as he's outed, he's gonna get killed by a werewolf. Right. And so like for what it's worth, I was like, cool. That's good. Yeah. That's good that he did. Yeah. The only other person who dies is like a security guard. I think, right? Yeah, there's like yeah. one security guard who gets just swept, like right. lifted 12 feet in the air. Right. Yeah, the werewolf attacks the party. A lot of people are killed. And that's when we get the really weird Michael Rosenbaum red herring. Yeah. Uh, Jesse Eisenberg and Christina Ricci like reunite. Mm-hmm. You think that Bo's dead because mm-hmm. he gets cut away before you see what's happening. Then Michael Rosenbaum is like, you got to be careful out there, Christina Ricci. It yeah. could be like an animal up there. And I'm like, well, it's movie's over. Like we know you're not the yeah. Who's taught? Why? Why are you talking like this? So then the rest of the movie, like, were you a creep the whole time? I don't know because he was like super generically normal the whole yeah. movie. Yeah, not even like a, I secretly like. I've always had a thing for you, Christina Ricci. Yeah, I don't even know what they were attempting to do with the Michael Rosenbaum stuff. Yeah, and then like the next scene, he's like silently lifted up into the ceiling. Yeah, and then drops down and he's dead. Sliced and diced. Sliced and diced. Yeah. I appreciated that the Judy Greer villain reveal was in the diva room. Oh, nice. That's good. 
It's like all of these wax, like Tina Turner, uh, Madonna. Yeah. But yeah, the reason that there's a party. Okay, yeah. There's a party and then instantly empties out because this is a closed wax museum in the third uh, act of this. Yes. So there can't be a party. Mm-hmm. And that's why it just looks like a museum, not a club, is because yeah. it was never meant to be a club. And it's it just, a literal wax museum yes. on Sunset Boulevard that you can go to. <laughs> that already exists. Yeah, that already exists. I remember enjoying the Judy Greer stuff mm-hmm. when I watched this on like cable and whenever. Mm-hmm. This could very well have been like the only part of the movie I saw. Mm-hmm. But in retrospect, it's it's really weak sauce because like the only reason that she's doing all of this in this version of the movie, the women that she's been killing are just because she was threatened by them and thought they would get Joshua Jackson. Right. It's like, I want Joshua Jackson all to myself. Right. And I'm like, that's pretty shitty movie. Yeah. Jesse Eisenberg grabs Xena, warrior princess's sword. That happens in this version. Mm-hmm. <laughs> that happens in the script. Oh, okay, in, cool, in the cool. script. That's what he uses to decapitate the werewolf. Oh, cool. It's, it's Xena's sword. That's great. Yeah. That's, that's fun. Yeah. There's like a part where he's like, come on, fair fight. And Jesse and Judy Greer's like, okay. And then like, you know, she's like beating up everybody. Yeah. She's just like pro werewolf. <laughs> big, big time. Christina Ricci pepper sprays Judy Greer. And um, that's when they bump into Jake. Mm-hmm. Oh, okay. So Judy Greer turns into a werewolf. And I wrote, so this is technically the only werewolf transformation in the movie. Yes. And I think that's kind of like a big part of any werewolf movie. Right. It's like, what's your transformation going to be? Because the main three characters never actually turn into a werewolf. No, no. Yeah. Do they do in the in the script? No. Oh, interesting. Well, uh, I'll get there. Okay, uh, yeah. Kinda, kinda. Yeah. And it's a pretty disappointing CG. Yeah, just CG, like, bubbling Blah. skin. Yeah. And then, yeah. And it's like, it's Van Helsing. It's, you know. Yeah. And, and then, like, Judy Greer's gone, too. So now it's just, like, a big old furry guy in a suit. Yeah. When it's right. not, like, a shitty CG wolf. Flipping people off. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Jesse Eisenberg gets a torch at some point. It ends with Christina Ricci grabbing the Wolfman cane. Mm-hmm. She says, play this, for some reason. And shoves it in the where the wolf's mouth. Yeah, the mantelpiece. Yeah, the yeah object. The, the silver, it's silver based or whatever. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> a silver rep, prop replica. Yeah. The cops come. Judy Greer. Why would a werewolf make anything silver in their Much own like, club uh, that they're making? Yeah, no, it makes no sense. Oh, Jesus. The cops come, and there's this incredible part where you just hear off like VO a voice go shit. <laughs> oh shit. And I was like, is that, was that the werewolf? <laughs> oh, yeah. And it is. The wolf, Judy Greer wolf can talk sometimes. Mm-hmm. The cops come. They're like, LOL. Because they're like, it's a wolf. They're like, no, it's not. And then Christina Ricci's like, yeah, she's really fat and has like a big butt and has like bad skin. And that's, wolf's like, hey, like goads are out. Yeah. Hey, that's not true. Yeah. And that's when we get, I guess, arguably this movie's biggest legacy, which is like the gif of the werewolf giving the middle finger. Yeah. Yeah. Judy Greer werewolf flipping, <laughs> flipping everyone off. Yeah. And then she's gunned down. They shoot her in the head and she's, she's dead. Yeah. Yeah. I like that. Even this, that's the screen legacy. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Gotta shoot it in the head. One last scare. Yeah. We still get that. Uh, and then they run back into the mirror house. Bo's alive. Mm-hmm. There's this one where he's like, yeah, he just sucker punched me. Yeah. Yeah. The, sure, man. The werewolf. You could have taken the werewolf. The werewolf sucker punched you. Yeah. They go back to their their home that they both live in. Yeah. And there's... They it's assume, trash because of where zipper. Because of zipper. Yeah. And there's this one part. There's this one moment where 
Christina Ricci walks through the kitchen and the lights are off and the moonlight hits her eyes. And it was like the best shot of the movie. And I was like, oh, it it looked like an old school universal, you know, because like she has such a cool look and like the light and the shadow. And for like a moment, it was like waking up for half a second. I'm like, Christina Ricci would be really good in a werewolf. (laughs) But then Joshua Jackson's there and he's the bad guy now. Mm-hmm. And like I mentioned earlier, it's like Jesse Eisenberg crab walks on the ceiling. Yeah, because they're like starting to transform. Yeah, they're finally starting to transform. Yeah. And it didn't make any sense to me because he was like, sorry, I had to do this, Jimmy. Or it's like, it'll, it'll be over soon. And I'm like, what, him turning into a werewolf and killing you? Like, oh, no, the, he was he, he was saying, I'm going to, because he tells her, like, we'll finally get rid of this burden that's been dragging you down and we're going to kill your brother. Okay. Yeah. But he'll be a werewolf too, right? Who will? Jimmy. Isn't Jimmy also turning into a werewolf? Yeah. Okay. But he's like, but he did, but there can only be one alpha, he says. Okay. Joshua Jackson. Which apparently in this universe, alpha means like one male, <laughs> I guess. Yeah. I don't know. So so what, what what's the finale like in the original script? Okay. Brooke lets them all in to the wax museum. Okay. Right? Jose, the security guard. Who's in the movie. Who is in the movie. Yeah. Um, because he's in that opening scene that was in the original script. Uh, Jose is like, I'm going to go lock at the back. Mm. Goes, leaves. And then then she lets them in. And then she's like, okay, let's just follow Jose out the back. So they're like, we'll catch up with him. And then they go through and they're like going through the museum. And they stumble upon Jose's body. Mm-hmm. And it's mutilated. And they're like, oh, shit shit the werewolf's in here with us like oh my god what are we gonna do Mm. and then so do you remember what i said at the beginning about the opening the cold open how they're at that party where everyone's dressed up in costume yeah endangered animals and the and jenny the jaguar or leopard leopard is talking to a guy who's dressed like a werewolf yeah in like a werewolf costume kind of hitting on her in like a gross way Mm -hmm. and like a scary way um, which leads her to like being like, I'm just fuck this party. I'm gonna leave, and mm-hmm. then gets killed in the parking garage. Okay, so, <laughs> so they're walking around this wax museum, mm-hmm. and then so the thing that he, the opening line of the movie is, "Do you believe in werewolves?" And it's the Wolfman asking leopard, Jenny the yeah, Leopard Girl, yeah. right? And so they turn a corner, they walk into the Happy Days area. Of the wax, the, the wax yeah, yeah. She is there a chachi? Um, no, no. So like El- Ellie ends up in there. A male figure starts walking through the shadows toward her, and then she hears a voice, and it says, "Hi, remember me?" And then he goes, "Do you believe in werewolves?" And then Scott Bayo walks out of the Whoa. shadows. Yeah, he's a werewolf. He's a werewolf. He was the oh my god. He was the werewolf at the beginning of the movie. The one being creepy. The one being creepy in wow. the in the costume. That was Scott Bayo. She he was like, I bet you didn't see this coming. And he goes, Remember Fonzie? And he walks over to the Fonzie thing, <laughs> and he's like, His real name's Henry Winkler, but to the world, he's always gonna be the Fonz. Hey, you got Stallone over there. Only it's Rambo and Elvira over there. Does anyone even know her real name? And Ellie's like, I, I, and he's like, this place has a little identity crisis going on. Wouldn't you say? He goes, have you changed yet? You will. When the pain gets so bad, you can't fight it anymore. Ellie's like, you 
And Scott Bayo's like, what? I can't be a werewolf? Too absurd? Too yeah. crazy? I told you earlier in the movie, and he said when she asked him, what have you been going on, got going on lately? He's like, well, I just got back from traveling through Europe. Whoa. So he had like an old school werewolf origin. Yes. Where he was like in Transylvania. Yeah. And like, okay, okay. He please. was like, I was traveling when I was attacked. Europe, remember? What's a little curse? I've been cursed by Chachi for years. What's one more? <laughs> now if I could just kill. I haven't quite managed that yet. I have tried, but... But, you know, you were there and then someone off camera goes, do it now. Kill her. And then Joni walks oh, in. Oh, Joni. Yes. yes. Okay, yeah. And then he's like, you remember Joni? And Joni's like, do it. I know you can do it. Scott Bayo says, I can't. I'm sorry. I thought I could, but I can't. Joni says, I am sick of cleaning up your mess. Two days now. The girl at the benefit, the canyon clusterfuck, the beach girl. I picked you, Scott. You, stumbling through Europe, <laughs> hopeless and dried up. Now prove that you're worthy. And Bayo says, I can't. I thought I wanted it, but I, I can't do it. She says, you two-bit has-been moron. And then claws him, okay. sends him flying. And then she goes, actors. And then starts turning on them. And so the power dynamic is Scott Bayo was the first to be turned by Joni. Okay. And Joni has been pretending to be his assistant this whole time, but is actually like... The brains. It, yeah, the alpha. His, his werewolf alpha. Whatever, yeah. what's the word for vampire? Where it's like the sire? one... Sire. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. His sire. Um, I mean, that's and, great. Yeah. And so now they all start turning into werewolves in different aspects of them. Mm-hmm. Vince goes first, becomes the most animalistic, and then... Kind of uh, Twilight style. It's like yeah. a big wolf. Right, right, right. Goes Starts to go the most animalistic, and then Jimmy... And then she's like, yes, you guys are, are going to be way better than Scott Bayo. Like, kill, kill Ellie. And then they both look at Ellie, and then they both simultaneously attack Joni oh. and kill her. And then everybody, like, goes back to normal. That's the finale? That's the finale. Wow. Yeah. I mean, you know, it's more extended than oh, how yeah, I'm sure. telling the story. Yeah, but there's but... no, like, weird act four at the house No, with Joshua Jackson. No, there is a really great moment where Ben Taft... And the detectives show up, and uh, Ben Taft is like, it's just a scared animal. We're going to go in with my team. I've got tranquilizers. We'll take care of it. And then they get in there, and they see the werewolf, and he's like, he he pulls up his walkie-talkie, and he's like, hey, I'm going to need guns. I need need you guys to come in here with lots of guns. (laughs) Oh, that's so, yeah. Yeah. It's like a, you know what? We we talked about how in Scream 3, it kind of traded kind of thrills for comedy. Yeah. Kind of leaned more on like the humor, tongue in cheek, sending up Hollywood, Mm -hmm. but not a lot of the comedy worked. Right. This feels like a better version of that horror comedy emphasis on the comedy. And uh, as a Hollywood LA story. Yeah. That's the thing. This is like Kevin Williamson writing his version of the screen three we got. Yeah. You know? Of of yeah, telling kind of like the seedy underworld belly of like Hollywood. Hollywood and, like, and Los Angeles. Leeching and, off people. Yeah. That's and, so like, interesting. And he made Scott Barrow the fucking the, werewolf. Oh, like, yeah, that, that that would have been such a cool thing to experience in the theater. Yeah. Part of me wonders, I don't want to spoil this earlier, but part of me wonders if they shot that reveal and that's the thing that canceled the movie. Was that Scott Bayo just like wasn't good at this? Uh, at like having that major of a role that kind of hangs itself on his yeah, performance. Because like, I, you know, he's kind of the stew. 
yeah of the movie right the the kind of sad stooge right. that gets led along and like Joni is like billy loomis right and yeah you can imagine a world where you know maybe you have it in your head like oh yeah scott bayo but then you're like oh yeah that's not maybe what we had in mind or it could very well be that the weinsteins were like this is stupid right we don't get why this is funny which is and, stupid because it's like, guys, there was a script. You could have read the script and stopped us from filming it to begin with. Yeah, you know? and that's when we. That's when I think I go into like them just being fucking bullies of waiting until they're ninety percent done and then yeah. being like, "What's this?" But that's we such a waste of money. Yeah, you, yeah, yeah. You're like, what are you? You know, what are you I, getting out of this? I was I was listening to um, Craig Mazin on Script Notes mm-hmm. talked about working with Bob Weinstein because he wrote like some of the later the latter scary movies oh that's true yeah. yeah and and he talks about working with the weinsteins and he's met harvey he never worked directly with him but he worked with bob and then when the scott rudin stuff happened like he was literally just like okay scott rudin never should have done any of that it's a shitty thing that he did mm-hmm. all of those things yeah but the reason that he's worked and the reason why he could potentially continue to work if he apologized to people and actually made amends is because Scott Rudin is really, really smart and knows what he's doing. Mm-hmm. Bob and Harvey are idiots. Like, he like just straight up said that in a Script Notes episode. He was like, I worked with them for 10 years. Mm. They're morons. Right. They don't know what they're doing. And anytime they start to get freaked out about losing their power because they're the fact idiots. that they don't, they're idiots mm-hmm. and they don't know what they're doing, if it looks like they might start losing their power, they start lashing out. Yes, yeah, yeah. The way that, like, stupid animals do. Mm -hmm, You know, when they feel cornered. Where it's like, oh no, they're going to find out that we have no clothes. Right. We have to beat these people into submission or bully them. and Or, you know, because like what I, reading the Scott Rudin stuff and also the people like that, Mm -hmm. or people in that situation that are abusing their power, they thrive on uncertainty. Right. They thrive on everyone else being disoriented and not knowing what, the footing they're on, right? Because it's all on what's what they want, you know, what Scott Rudin wants or what the Weinstein's want, right? And it's unfortunate because yeah, this could have been a really fun, cool horror mid two thousands horror comedy with like Mandy Moore and Christina Ricci, and instead it's this like fucking fiasco that no one even remembers and that like everyone involved with it, it disowns or openly is like yeah, that was a shit show. Yeah, I think on reflection, I do think Mandy Moore was probably playing the Joni role. Okay. Um, in this, because it makes sense that Ju- you cast Judy Greer in the version of Joni we get in the final one, which is much more comedic mm-hmm. and silly and and kind of diva ish. Sure. Yeah. Whereas, like, she's a little more on the scary side in yeah. this version, which I think would be a really surprising turn for Mandy Moore. For Mandy Moore. Yeah. Like, it would be a shock that Mandy Moore was like the Billy Loomis. Yeah. This. And so you could see that really, really working. You stupid. Full. Yeah, right. Yeah. <laughs> and it's like fucking Mandy Moore. Like, that's pretty cool. Joe with Judy Greer, like crushing like Becky. Yeah. Which sounds like a really fun comedic role. Totally. For a few pages and then like dies. Right, right. It's so interesting. Like, the fate by pure happenstance, some of act, some actors just have drastically different fates. Like, Jose mm-hmm. is now just like in one scene where he's like, Jose opened the door and he's like, oh, okay. And he's just gone. Just like a normal dude, yeah. But in the script, he like has like a member, like a like. Oh no, Jose's dead. Yeah, right. Yeah, totally. After everything is is like wrapping up, okay, outs- yeah. Outside the in the police barricade, that's where we get Jimmy making out with with Brooke and Bo being like, "We're gonna be friends now," you know, mm-hmm. like that. All of that stuff. We get uh, Scott Bayo being taken out in a stretcher. Great. 
and saying, I just wanted a second chance. I wanted a chance to be something else. <laughs> Which is really fucking sad. Yeah. Like, oh. oh, man. Uh, also, a really fun, like, uh, Wes Craven would have gotten to work with a, a second Happy Days alum. Yeah, true. Very true. And then Ellie and Vince set up that, like, yeah, they're probably going to start dating after this. Mm. And uh, be an official couple. Yeah, be an official couple. And then we get a uh, post credit scene of Scott Bayo on the Craig Kilborn show. And Craig, Craig going, is it true? Are you a werewolf? And he's like, it's Scott Bale's like, come on, Craig, me, a werewolf? That's crazy. I'm Chachi. And then, and then blackout. Wow. So yeah. now, now he's, now he's embracing it. Yeah. He is Chachi. Yeah. This feels like the same kind of comedy that Scream 4 does, mm-hmm. where it's like also a little arch and a little tongue in cheek, mm-hmm. but has that weight mm-hmm. that I think Scream 3 was lacking. So if I'm not mistaken, Scream 4 was a Weinstein company movie, right? Yep. So it'll be really interesting to see. This is 05. Uh-huh. Scream 4 comes out in 11. Yeah. What happens? How? What happens to get Wes Craven back in that cave with it's the Weinsteins? It's a lot of shenanigans. Yeah. Yeah. I've already started doing research for four. Great. And uh, because I needed to see how this puzzle piece fit in. Sure. And it it really does fit in terms of like, a lot of stuff that happens on four. Yeah, I think this was like a really great prologue. Um, hopefully, this gets more people to like find the cursed script. Yeah, and like give it a read because yeah, it's, just what you were reading for me sounded really like a like a fun time. It is a really fun time. It's a fun script. It's it's a bummer that this this is like and this is the thing, man. It, it, and you know, it, it's it's a complicated issue, but. You know, the thing about remakes is, like, they're always remaking the wrong movie. They're remaking the movies that are already good. Like, yeah. you don't need, we don't need a new version of this. Mm-hmm. What are you doing? Like, let's remake the movies that didn't quite work but had a good idea. Mm-hmm. This is, like, a perfect example of if I ever got to be in a place where I could get in a room with Kevin Williamson, I'd be like, you know what I really want to do? I want to direct Cursed. I want to direct the script that you wrote. Or Who me- owns it now? Can we do that? Yeah, yeah. Like, and we, like, you know, we'd have to update some stuff because, like, Scott Bayo's not really relevant now. I mean, not the point was that he wasn't relevant then, but even now, but even, but now he's like a Trumper, and it's like a whole. Oh, I didn't even know that. Yeah, yeah. I was just more like, I feel like, whereas in 05, maybe kids are like, oh yeah, Scott Bayo, but now it's like, yeah, who's that? What's Happy Days? I don't. Maybe Tom Welling. <laughs> yeah, that'd be fun. Yeah, I don't know Tom Welling or. Yeah, Adam Brody to a certain extent. Jughead. Yeah, Jughead. Yeah, but like something something from like, I would say early 2000s. Oh, okay. I think would be... So like Gossip Girl, Seventh yeah, Heaven. Yeah, Nicholas Brendan. Nicholas Brendan. Would be a good one. Yeah, um, something like that. But yeah, I think it would have to be something like that. And then, yeah, I mean, I think you could like update this mm-hmm. so that it's it's not so 2003. Right. Yeah, um, but these but the dynamics between these three characters sounds really interesting. Yeah. And I think like Wes Craven was right. The idea of a, of a found family pack werewolf movie, yeah, still really hasn't been done yet. No, yeah, mm-hmm. I think it's a really interesting idea, um, and I think it was executed really well here. And I really, really like this script. It's just too bad about that movie, though. Yeah, because so in 2010, I want to say in the autumn, this movie came out called My Soul to Take. Mm-hmm. That was directed by Wes Craven, and I think maybe written by Wes Craven. We were talking about it, mm-hmm. and that is my jam. It is also a very flawed movie, but it is so weird. Yeah. And has this weird mythology to it and is very earnest. And that came out 
post Scream 4? Right or? before. Right before. Okay. So uh, much so that I was like in the little college town that I was living in. They both came out while I was living in that little college town. Oh, okay. It was like fall semester, spring semester. Yeah. But so I would recommend giving that a watch, listeners, because that's like it kind of points to what this movie could have been, mm-hmm. which is like a really weird, flawed, singular, cool thing that could have existed. I don't know. Yeah. We got Wes Craven's output slowed so much towards the end that it's sad that there could have been like a whole other movie from him. Yeah. Yeah. Because Scream 4 ended up being his very last movie, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. yeah. Um, but this was this was a really fun trip. Right. <laughs> down an alternate. It's it's a crazy story. Like it's one of the crazier like Hollywood stories I've ever heard in mm-hmm. terms of like I mean, this is just sort of the epitome of the wine. Like you understood why Bob Weinstein was so afraid of the original version of Scream 3 because of everything that was going on IRL, you know? Mm -hmm. But with this, it's just them being assholes. Yeah, what were they thinking? It's just everything, all of the stories that you hear about them on a professional capacity. Yeah, Harvey the Hatchet Man. Yeah, everything that you hear about that, like this is everything. This is all of it. (laughs) All in one. It's like a super cut. Yeah, (laughs) I'm like, yeah, Killing a movie when it was 90% shot mm-hmm. and then putting it through four consecutive rounds of reshoots. Right. And just putting the actors through, like, uh, yeah. I mean, to say nothing of, like, Kevin and Kevin Williamson and Wes Craven. Right. And the like, the freaking crew. Right. Right. Yeah, on the last round of reshoots, Wes Craven once again got T-shirts made for everyone that said uh, that, I, that said that said "Cursed for back for more." That's wow. what it was cool. Good form. <laughs> yeah. Good on you, Wes Craven. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, it would be really interesting to hear any of the actors talk about. What that was, I and mean, what just like like going back and finding like time to find Jimmy again, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> to like be this dude. Except yeah, now Christina Ricci's my sister, right? Man, crazy, crazy, yeah. crazy thing. Well, listeners, let us know what you thought of of this this kind of extra material, extracurricular, extracurricular. deep dive. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Into a into a related film. Uh, yeah, this is the kind of thing we would do if we, when we cross hundred. And it, it won't be a Patreon exclusive podcast. It'll be just like this. It'll be on the main feed. But we got to cross hundred patrons uh, on on Patreon before we do this on the reg. Yeah. Um, got like seventeen left. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Seventeen. We need seventeen people. I know there's way more than seventeen people who listen to this show. <laughs> uh, so think about uh, becoming a Patreon supporter. We would really, really appreciate it. Um, so check it out. It's doinggenre.com slash support. Check that out again. We want to do Superman returns in the first leg of the X-Men miniseries. There's, there's some other stuff that we talked about as well. And then for future stuff, you know, like if the mummy one, we could do an extracurricular on the ride on the mu- revenge of the uh, mummy yeah. ride, you know, or we could do, um, the cartoon. We could watch an episode of the cartoon. Oh, right. There was a cartoon. That's right. Hotep's purple. Oh yeah. Oh man. Crazy. But yeah, yeah. Stuff like that is, uh, is the kinds of things that we would do. So if that's something that sounds interesting to you, well, or for like um, Spy Kids, a Spy Kids one, we could do Shark Boy and Lava Girl. That's right. Yeah. Something like that. Yeah. So it'd be something like that. It'd be that kind of thing. Mm. So let us know by becoming a Patreon, duelinggenre.com slash support. Uh, that's, that's how we'll know that you guys really like this and uh, want to get more of this sort of thing. 
And uh, we appreciate everyone who's already a Patreon supporter. It helps us keep the lights on. Totally. Helps helps everything keep uh, keep moving. Oh, I've been meaning to say this on air. Uh, yeah. I really appreciate we have like five really good reviews right now on Apple Podcasts. Oh, I haven't I haven't even checked. Yeah, yeah. I've gotten out of the habit of checking reviews. For sure, for sure. Yeah. I've gotten I've gotten too we've gotten too many on past podcasts. We've gotten too many one star reviews that just like stayed with me a little mm-hmm. too yeah, long. Yeah, you gotta protect the mental health. Yeah, you know, yeah. yeah. But yeah, like so shout out to like, you know, the five Really, I thought they were like thoughtful, fun reviews. Oh, that's great. Um, that's yeah. really nice. Helps us out. Does that mean we have a five average right now? We have a five average. Okay, nice. That's awesome. Wow. That's that's really great, guys. I really appreciate you guys doing that. Because um, we didn't even ask for that. So that's, yeah, yeah. that's, that's really awesome. Uh, so thanks so much for all of that. And we'll be back next week to talk about Scream 4 and wrap up this miniseries. Yeah, and now, ladies and gentlemen, Bowling Pursuit. Bowling Pursuit.